Alright y'all, it's Wednesday, July 17th, almost 4 p.m., fucking 96 degrees out, outside walking to the, uh, to the hospital pharmacy. Re-up on some, some of the meds before I, uh, peel out, trying to peel out in the morning, see if that happens. Finally got the fucking, yo, it's been fucking, it's been fucking, uh, almost three years since I've been in Philly. And I'm about to refill, about to move. So, um, yeah, trying to get, have my vehicle crap out on me. So I've been trying to tinker with that all week, trying to get that going. Finally got that going. So I got no excuses anymore. Um, trying to pack up all the things. It's fucking, it's, 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 moving is some shit, dude. But, um, anyway, I got a new pod with, uh, homie Nicholas, he's a, so I know Nicholas, this is why, yeah, it's kind of a fitting, it's kind of a fitting final, uh, final, final Philly pod, at least, like, while I live here, um, because I know, I, I know, I know Nicholas, so we did a pod about a little over a year ago on Don Quixote, um, off the, off the cuff at a coffee shop, this guy's doing that blower thing, we'll try to grow a his garden on, uh, Wyota and Powelton. But, um, yeah, we did a pod a little over a year ago. He's, he's, so I've known him since way the fuck back, 2014, when I was still, when I was living here before, and I'd always just see him around. Oh, wait, I can't go this way. I gotta go to the hospital. I'm the wrong way. Um, around coffee shops, always grinding, always reading, always annotating, and, uh, had a bit of like a, like I, we talk, we talk at the coffee shops every now and then, just like, what are you reading, what are you reading? But then, um, Spawn kind of did that pod a little over a year ago. But then I had like a three month hiatus. Cause that's when, speaking of the hospital, that's when like the health started crapping out a little bit. Anyway, we've been running into each other recently on the street a couple times and uh, just, just texting about uh, this and that, trying to trying to link up, and then last Saturday, um, we we had it. We yeah, we just uh, kind of off the cuff. I was just at a coffee shop. I know where he lives on you know, out in West West Philly, so I was like, come through uh, if you want to just kick it. Because uh, I didn't told him that I was moving, but then. Once we sat down and started talking, we immediately started talking about what kind of jumps this thing off. Oh, yeah, he was talking about how he was reading uh, Bonfire of the Vanities by Tom Wolfe. I haven't read that, but I just finished uh, Jesus' Son a little while ago by Dennis Johnson. And then he just started talking about how uh, he started articulating a lot of ideas I've been having. The main, the, main, the main thing that made me hit the record button was just he was talking about how, like, Tom Wolf explores so many like kind of taboo things. These kind of ideas that are sort of like difficult to talk about or especially, you know, maybe not the most PC. This isn't like a non this isn't like an anti-PC discussion, but it's just like he was just articulating how especially in fiction and writing like the point is, in art, the point is to explore idea. like, this idea that, <laughs> this idea sound redundant, but this idea that any idea you have is attached to you, is, uh, 
is an idea like a lot of people have, but that's not, the point is for if you have sort of suspect ideas or whatever, the point is to try to articulate them. Like I think late in the pot he says something like, someone, someone quotes this, he's gonna, he'll drop the name, I can't remember who it was, late, late in this podcast, where it's like, how do I know what I think until I hear what I say? Is that what it was? I think that's what it was. How do I know what I think until I hear what I say? So you gotta articulate these different ideas and like, and like hear how they sound out loud. And the point is, it's like, to move through ideas and allow yourself to change. But if you never articulate the idea and it kind of just to get stuck in you, that's sort of when people, those ideas, potentially suspect ideas could be taken like too far, you know what I'm saying? So that was like, he was just articulating that off the rip because he was talking about how like, um, Bonfire of the Vanities, and he also just read the, he's kind of on a, he, I think he was reading a couple of Tom Wolfe books, how that fool was just going in about all kinds of stuff, about like crime and, and, and all, race and all kinds of class and all kinds of shit in, uh, in the Bronx in the 80s, so um, anyway, I just hit the record button, next thing you know, we talked for a couple hours in this super lit pod, I just walked by someone in the hospital, I look crazy uh, talking to myself, but um, so yeah, that's... That's why we went in about. He's a library. He, he's a librarian. He's been working at the the public library, and uh, in Philly, also you know, reader, writer, musician. Um, but no, we get into a whole lot of good stuff in this podcast. I, I'm excited it happened, and honestly, kind of the whole point of that that thing of the, the importance of articulating your ideas so that you kind of see what they sound like and move through them. I really felt that tangibly from this conversation, like. Like, uh, after, I just felt so much, I felt like a relief after I had this conversation where it's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not just on one. Other people are grappling with these similar things, you know what I'm saying? Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm super glad we had this combo. Um, yeah, been a good, no, nah, I'm not even, I don't even, I mean, I'm relocating to out of Philly, but I, still staying here, but I'm not trying to turn this into like a sentimental going away pot, but anyway, hope you guys enjoy it, let's get it. Didn't matter before, why would it not? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm well, sure just, you've, ex- this is probably exactly what you experienced. Like, you sit there writing something, you don't intend to write it, but you're in the voice of a character or something, Right. right. and that character's... Uh, mind it takes you certain places that your mind doesn't take you. Right. You don't have these thoughts and feelings about the right. world or right. about a certain person or about a different certain right. social right. issue. Right. But that character does, and in that moment, you're connected with the character. Or you might have, but in a certain mo- certain mo- in a certain point right. in time, right. then it things change. Right. You, oh yeah. Right yeah. Before, what did you say? That the ideas aren't connected to the person. Yeah. I mean, everyone has these fleeting thoughts which are unacceptable, right? but which we all have. And so art is a really nice place to be able to express them right? in a way that you can contemplate or you can recognize. Yeah. It's just like, you know, like, like with comedy or something like that, when people get really close to the line or step over it, like certain comedians really like to do that, I feel like people really appreciate having that moment to laugh because it's right. so cathartic. Right, right. They're not. They're not agreeing. They're not with, agreeing with no, it. No, and they're not. And they're not saying it's okay. Or what it's, you're saying is acceptable. It's but right. it's nice to recognize that we all sort of have these 
unacceptable thoughts right. and feelings. Right. Almost what makes it funny is addressing that thing yeah. that is repressed and unacceptable. Yes, yes repression. Yeah. And letting dude. the repression out. Yeah. It doesn't mean we're all condoning it now. Right. Or that now it's going to be widespread in society. Right, right, right. It just means we're processing these right. uncomfortable ideas or feelings. And you think that is definitely important. I feel like that's so important that it has to be continually defended. How does Tom Wolf do that in Bonfire of the Vanities? What is he addressing? Well, think he, well at the time, he he's addressing... That's you know, 60s, right? No, it's New York in the 80s. 80s. And so you have all these different social sections. You have Wall Street, you have the Bronx, you have the tabloid press, you have the drudgery of the criminal justice system okay. and the, sort of the gridlock of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's sort of juggling all these things and finding a way to connect them all through this accident that happens. Uh, this like Wall Street, he calls himself a master of the universe. Okay. Sort of, like this wolf of Wall Street type yeah. guy. And he and his mistress are out one night. They get lost. They end up in the Bronx. Oh, shit. And uh, they end up like... They end up uh, knocking into this guy, this like young guy. Hitting him in the car? Yeah, it's okay. like a hit and run situation. Oh. And the guy ends up in a coma and then he ends up uh, dying. Oh. So at first no one cares. Right. And then gradually like this sort of Al Sharpton type uh. character takes on the case and he begins to uh, like uh, gather the press to sort of lead the, this sort of protest and wow. drums up a lot of support and eventually it just snowballs and becomes this huge huge it's like this mirror to re reflect everything that's going on in New York City in that mm -hmm. era mm -hmm. you know the, the intense like poverty in the Bronx right. and the despair right. the intense concentration of wealth on Wall Street right and the huge gap between the two and just like how awful and messy and crazy the city was at that time how right. dangerous it was how like uneasy everyone felt about everything yeah so it's going and into he, all that stuff right and he Race, puts himself in the uh, middle he does not have a i feel like he he's every everything he's looking at he looks at with the same sort of satire and the same sort of critical eye yeah he doesn't come down on any side he's right. just trying to be really objective although Ooh, is the narrator a person in the book uh or no? No, no, that, I guess it's, it's like a, just it's the, sort of the Tom Wolf point Tom of view. type person. Yeah. yeah. And I've, you know, he, this, he, had, he had the same, his same attitude and everything I've read. He's just fascinated huh. by people, huh. by groups, by tribes, right, by right. social conditions, right. how different tribes and society interact with each other. Yeah. So he's acknowledging that some difference between different mm -hmm. groups. Yeah. Which already which alone feels like that could be almost a taboo stance, at least today. Right. Oh, for sure, today. Right? Yeah, Tom Wolfe, I think, would be, would be a very, uh, would be a pariah right now. Right. At that's, least in this particular moment. Right. I think that happened to him in other eras. I think he went through several oh, moments he where he was a pariah. Yeah, yeah, because he's taken, like, I think he likes to provoke people also, and he likes to it's remain an outsider. Interesting. So like during the Bush years, the W years, yeah. um, when there was this intense uh, anger in this widespread uh, unrest, yeah. especially you know uh, concerning the Iraq war, Absolutely. he uh, liked to brag about how he voted for Bush twice. Wow. Because he just liked to like, piss <sighs> off people. 
And who knows if he actually did or not? He seems Is he alive like he, still? No, he died recently, like last year or something. Same with Dennis Johnson in 2017. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, just the past couple of years. Interesting. I feel like he doesn't want to be pinned down. He wants the freedom to be able to write about everyone. Right. And so he, he sees people sympathetically, but he also sees them satirically and he sees them critically. So he sees them in a very like complex spectrum. Right. He doesn't let anyone off the hook, but he also doesn't like condemn anyone. Okay. He feels like, you know, yeah. this is all the big, what did he call it? He wrote this famous essay uh, called like the billion-footed beast or something. Yeah. And he was writing about how the novelists of like the 60s and 70s, the sort of like Vonnegut's, the Pynchons, that, that sort of era, he felt like they had abandoned the social novel mm. and that they'd missed out on this incredible era which so much was happening in American society. Not going and no in one on was it. documenting it no in doc- a way like novelists like Dostoevsky or Dickens did right. in the 19th century. Right. So he felt like he had to take that up. And I feel like that's why he eventually wrote his first fiction novel, mm. uh, Bonfire of the Vanity. Because he could look, that's his first fiction. Yeah, he, he could wrote, go in on it more because it was right. fiction. He could he could explore those ideas further. I, I feel like, he, fiction. yeah, he could. And also I feel like he wanted to sort of set a precedent and say, look, I'm going to do this. I've been complaining for so long and no one's been doing this. I'm gonna now I'm going to try it and I hope this inspires other people to investigate what's going right. on. Right. In a novelistic format, in sort of that social, the big social novel where it sort of takes in a whole era or a microcosm of right. a city or a time That's so where you have you know multiple storylines, all these characters and you get to examine all the different levels of what's going on. Yeah. So he, he felt like the experimentation of the, the I guess you call them the postmodernists. Right. But like they, they were examining certain Is it formally pretty complex? It's formally he has a sort of this wild sort of style where he uses sort of he developed it I guess in his nonfiction where he uses journalistic approach. Yeah. But with uh, like sort of novelistic style. Sick, dude. So he he likes to incorporate that's fun kinda... stylistic devices that right. a writer can use in right. a novel. Right. But that's what the fiction part is. Right. That's what. The, that's like you. Anyway. So if you ever read the Electric Kool Aid Acid Test, which is fantastic, um, he, talk, he he follows around Ken Kesey. Right. And the Merry Pranksters. Right. He has like full access to them. During this crucial era of like. Um, that's earlier, that's 60s, and that's yeah, like not considered fiction, that's nonfiction. Yeah, it's nonfiction, but it's just so fun to read. It's not, I mean, it ha- he, he incorporates like the. So those techniques carry over into his fiction. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And and I think his techniques also reflect uh, what he's writing about. So in Electrical Aid Acid Test, it's a very like psychedelic style. Right. You know, he gets carried away and the page looks crazy with all huh. the stylistic choices that he makes. Interesting. The page looks crazy. He's doing a lot of line breaks? Or? Right, line breaks. Really? Yeah, and, you know, weird punctuation that's and stuff. What, that's like, yeah, that's like all so I'm about right now. Get even closer to the story through Sick, novelistic dude. devices. Damn, well, everything he reports on, you know, is factually accurate. Do you think there's, do you think anyone's doing something like that right now? Or do you... I'm not sure. I'm not exactly that tuned into totally. current. That's the thing about right now. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's like that's why that's such a, a gem or a gift. Like those <laughs> weird archives that made it. You know, it doesn't. It's not a. It's not an ethical or moral statement. It's just like an interesting thing to look at. Right. I, yeah, it's, I'm wary of 
do you think that people great ethical moral statement right 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 I think I like ambiguity yes yes so I'm, I'm always so, suspicious when a writer sort of ha- has their agenda and they have all their conclusions before they even start writing. Totally. Like they, have to, not they have to be investigated. They have to be discovering the process the thing. of writing. That's a really important idea. I don't idea. know That's a really how important idea. your exactly. work will be. Exactly. You have to allow yourself to doubt yourself and doubt your own assumptions. Yeah. <laughs> it seems so... Yeah, I no, take in new information. That's like comforting to hear said aloud because that seems. I feel like a lot of things that I've been feeling, feeling like that. That seems like the right thing, but that mm-hmm. there seems like to be so much resistance when it, from well, that's people the thing. today. The resistance now it's taken over every aspect of our of our creative life. So right. I feel like people feel like they need to write a novel or make a film that speaks about what's going on and also it uh, gives us like the tools to right all of the wrongs in society right which art should never do that's not the purpose of art right that's not the purpose of art no it's to ask questions not to answer questions earlier you said something about how uh in uh in that bonfire of the vanities there's all these different groups but he's not would you say he's like not condemning any of them no not at all and they're all part of this big thing right I, I, I like wrote this down in my notes the other day where I just have this idea about thinking about like evil in the wor- uh-huh. world or, or something like my view of like evil relates to my view of like the universe right. and if you think if you think of the universe as like an infinitely expanding right. like there's nothing outside right. of the universe right there's like the universe everything has no is morality. Every, yeah and, and it has no outer bound right. where the, e- potent, the the evil thing could be outside of that sure. it has to be <laughs> exter- cut off right. everything if you understand that right. understanding of the cosmos it's infinitely bound right. so everything is part of there's no right. thing that's outside. Right, right. So right. then your tech approach when right. something evil comes up is different. Right. Because it's all part, everything is part of right. this big thing. So right. how are we going to deal with this thing that are part of it if we can't um, amputate it like an, right. like an arm? Well, yeah. Like yeah. a body. That's where the body is different than like the universe. For sure. <laughs> or, or like recognizing in yourself what you most despise in exactly. someone else or some other it becomes other an inward search oh oh recognize right. in, yourself in yourself what you despise exactly right so I feel like that's really important especially for a writer because you're trying to make characters as complex as possible and if you don't reveal them in all of their flawed uh, humanity then you're really doing like a disservice to the character and also to the readers right so you should take those risks and uh, introduce weakness and introduce complexity and contradiction and doubt and contradiction and yeah. and yeah I think it I think I think I like to think of like a character as just like a version of me at a point in time right yeah I sometimes that's, that's, that's what has a novelist do. does like you know you try to project yourself into other people but it's always a version of you at it's some a version point. of you at some point but you have to in order to be able to explore those you have to recognize that we're always changing right and no single part right. I, part ident- I, uh, uh, defines no single uh, version of you defines you no there's no definitive version right that's right. a really important point yeah uh, because also you it, it prevents you from locking into any sort of one belief or idea or version right. of yourself it frees right. you up to be open to changing your mind, right? To be open to evolving, to changing, to evolving, yeah. and that's what's that's that's yeah, that's, that's what's the important. Key right that's there. a key. Everyone can keep you. Your future actions yeah. are all un. I haven't been done yet. <laughs> right. There's. I mean, yeah, like the idea of fate or the things that right. are predetermined. Um, right. 
know, it could be if you if you don't have don't that moment. Yeah. yeah, you don't have yeah. that moment. Can, I mean, people do live lives like that, right. where you know right. they start from point A and they move to point B, and that's, that's about that's it. why I was asking whether who the narrator was of the Tom Wolf book, because I feel like the only way you could do that, like, whatever. I'm speaking kind of in what I don't whatever. The only way one could do that today, I feel like, um, is to emphasize who's telling the story right. and have and show that they're changing throughout. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because right. then it's like if you speak from like some disembodied like personal voice, mm-hmm. that could be then as soon as you look at it, then you're someone looks at it, they're unpacking yeah. the things that have to be cut out. Right. Because they're you know because that would represent whoever's putting that forth. But they don't represent that. No, that's a big mistake people make. That's a big mistake. You know, like isolating certain things and taking that as the whole rather than, you know, just one one aspect of a person who exists on a spectrum like everyone else. Right, right, exactly. That's that's what Dennis Johnson does a couple times in those stories where he emphasizes that he's a person remembering a past version of himself that he doesn't really even really remember. Right. Like, he does that sometimes where he goes, like, I was that one story I was telling you about, yeah. Dirty Wedding, about the abortion. Right. Um, he starts it out, like, I was riding, I just got on the bus and, like, was riding, riding just riding it. It, it cost 50 cents, cost 25, it cost 50 cents, 75 cents, a dollar to ride the back bus back then. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't remember. Like, that immediately mm-hmm. changes the... Right. Like, it's... This isn't a person that is making a moral statement. It's just no. a person trying to re- deal with something that happened in the past. And he's admitting that he's not remembering it. Right. Um, tr- completely, factually, right. or truthfully. But he's also not going, this is a character. He's saying, this is just, yeah, this is me trying to remember a thing in the past. Yeah. I don't know. That, yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's comforting. It's comforting. Read that it's comforting because, reason uh, like that. Because... We all relate to that. That's how we. That's how we remember. That's things. how we remember things. You know, we don't remember things uh, like we have a film of it screening. Right. We. It's it's much murkier than that. Yeah. It's the try. It's the try. I feel like that really helps actually establish reality more. It does concretely than yeah. if it was just all these like bullet points of every detail of everything right. that right. happened in this person's of memory of trying to of the classical fictional idea right. of like trying to create like put you back in the, which some of that is just fu- feels good to read yeah, oh, those techniques wonderful. feel yeah. like magical and uh-huh. I love when it's the type of description like yeah when there's total clarity puts you there. and detail but but if it's just yeah but if it's just you gotta that's why it's like both yeah yeah that's definitely fucking sick dude yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I love uh, Dennis Johnson uh, for the, these, these moments. I, I love it when I find it in anything. There are moments where weird stuff just ha- ha- like like you're describing a story where characters riding the bus back and forth or the train right. gets off, follows some guy, right, and then he and the guy have a weird conversation, right. You know, like uh, describing that in, as I just did. You think, well, that's not very dramatic, or that's, right. But, but it's just so fascinating. Right. You have no idea where it's going. There's a, did you ever read Tree of Smoke? No, dude. I want to oh, read that, though. It's so great. I'm gonna, like, I have Seek, too. It's yeah. just another Dennis Johnson collection. Oh, yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm going to go on a little bender right now. It's a great it's a great novel. And there's it's so a many novel. moments like it's Tree of Smoke. It's yeah, a novel. novel. Uh-huh. i got to fuck with that next, yeah. dude. There are these... There's this moment uh, where this guy is waiting to be shipped out 
to to Vietnam. It takes place during oh, the, it's Vietnam. about Vietnam. Yeah, sick. And he's in Hawaii and at the military base there, and he has leave. Oh. And he goes out to his bar, and he gets drunk, and he meets this other soldier, and he just starts hanging out with this guy. And this guy um, says, "Oh, uh, before we go to this other bar, I have to go stop by at this friend's house." Okay. And so they go over to this guy's house and knock on the door. The guy answers, uh, and then uh, the guy who knocked, uh, he pulls out this gun and shoots the guy. <laughs> and then they just leave and they go back to the bar. His, his, the guy he was with, oh. The guy, yeah, the guy he was with, yeah, the, yeah, he's just tagging along. And it just, it just describes it and then it, yeah. Yeah, because apparently they had some sort of dispute that oh wasn't settled. Oh my God, bro. And he decided after a couple of drinks that he was going to settle this dispute. <laughs> and then, you know, he goes back to the guy that, you know, the main character, he's kind of worried. Yeah, he's a little worried. But, but he's, he's also pretty drunk. Yeah. And so he's shipping he's, out like the next right. day. And they, they're such a transience to the moment. Exactly. And yeah. there's so many moments like that, but it's never referred to again. But <laughs> just you get this feeling for the chaos of life. Yeah, exactly. Things and how just these fucking like, happening. Really weird, bro. like uh, hairpin turns. Happen. Right. You're not expecting them. And then they and then they ship out, and that the 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 novel goes. Yeah. Follows it there too. Right. There's these, uh, there's many many characters. That's sweet because he has essay about Vietnam too. Oh yeah, I feel in, like it, in essays about them in that collection. So. Yeah, and it's um, what is that novel? Angels. Angels. Is that the one? It's one of his early novels. But uh, characters from that novel get the fuck out of here. In, in um, amazing. That's like Bologna, dude. Right. Bologna so, would be doing that all yeah, the time. He wrote that like I don't know when, like in the '80s or something like that. Sick. And it takes place in the '80s. And then in Tree of Smoke, which he wrote, you know, sometime in the 2000s. Oh. You see these characters as their younger selves, as they're being shaped by their their sort of uh, rootless, uh, hopeless existence that leads them to just sort of volunteer to go fight in Vietnam. And then how the Vietnam War shapes their experience and then shows them uh, coming back home and just leading these sort of dead-end lives and dead-end jobs. And, wow. And then I guess, I've not read Angels, but I've just read in reference to it that these characters shows them in the 80s you know 20 years on from Vietnam War leading these similar like dead end lives in these yeah. small towns but he didn't get did he get deployed he didn't get deployed I'm not sure I don't know sure. that much about his backstory that's interesting about his biography yeah 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 my uncle was deployed it was in Iraq in 2005 and then later in the thousands twice he was in the Marines. Oh, wow. He's a chaplain. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I just learned, because I went to my cousin's wedding last month, which is his son, my uncle's son, Eric. And um, I learned that his cousin, who's 32 or 33 now, on his mom's side, who I hadn't met before, hmm. also served two terms in wow. those two time periods, wow. 2005 oh, really? and 2008 or nine. And my co- my uncle's in Okinawa. He's stationed in Okinawa right now. Oh, oh really? Yeah. And my dad lives in. Hokkaido. So are th- are they like uh, like military lifers or what? Or did they get out? Well, my cousin did. He was a medic. Oh, really? Um, 
and then oh, my cousin's cousin. No. <laughs> my cousin's cousin. What is that? Is that second cousin? I don't. I don't know, I don't know the I've extended terms. I know. I know. It's like it's like cousin squared. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Oh, cousin squared. No. <laughs> oh, cousin squared. I'm pretty sure that's the term. But then oh. my uncle is like, a, he's like almost to the point where he's served however many years, thirty years, and he's wow. gonna be. But he's still a chaplain. But he, there's a station in Okinawa, probably just waiting on North Korea to see what they do. Oh, I see. So yeah. he was transferred from. I don't know if that's the case. That's yeah. just a, that's a, that's just <laughs> I mean, the thing I thought. Yeah. Um, but he's been all over. He was in Hawaii for a while oh, yeah. too. So that's why it's interesting that that book's about that. Because I've been thinking about that. And I've been watching a lot of TV shows about that, like like just kind of PTSD stuff. And then Cherry, that book I'm reading now, is about oh, yeah. that. It's oh, about, is that what it's about? It's about a, a guy who went to right out of high school in like 17 or 18 went to um, Iraq as a medic came back got hooked on opioids started robbing banks with this, with this girl he was on opioids with oh my God. and then went to jail and I'm pretty sure that he's still in jail now I'm not positive on that but I'm pretty so sure like I read that I think so wow. so that shit's wild too it's also about mm-hmm. that you know and just this it kind is really of PTSD crazy. there's so many stories like that which you never hear about of what happens to soldiers when they exactly return. and that's what and I've talked to my cousin about like they just t- cannot readjust right right and I just saw the show Homecoming which is like about soldiers come back from PTSD and it's like this weird center that's run oh, by I Julia Roberts that. yeah that was and really she's cool. like oh you watch that show yeah yeah and they're trying to Get trying to back. eliminate PTSD. Yeah, trying to eliminate PTSD. Yeah. By that. that was on some other shit. But the point is, I'm like, I feel like my brain uh-huh. is seeking out things like that. So I know I'm gonna fuck up that tree of smoke book, fucking stat. I'm gonna yeah, walk yeah. somewhere, try to nab that. It's sick when it's an older book too, because then like you can just find it somewhere. Oh, it's yeah, it's you at know? every used bookstore. Dude, stuff. I can't believe I haven't been. Yeah. It's so sick when you discover a new author. That's just like a fucking gold mine, dude. Yeah, it is really you exciting. Know? And that's his big, his big novel, I think. It's come up like you know, it's a epic. million. Now that Dennis Johnson's on my radar, it's one of those things. Someone's on your radar. It's coming up everywhere. Uh, you know. Um, yeah, that's sweet, dude. Um, yeah, I'm gonna fuck with those other books too. Uh, yeah. Uh, you want me to kill this for a little bit? Oh, I don't do you care? I'll just, yeah, we can. That was a good. I don't know. I feel like I want to ask you personal questions. I don't know if that you want that on that. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, have you been working on... What, what have you been working on lately? Uh, mostly I've been working on music. Oh. Yeah. What kind of music? Uh, well, I like write songs, so I've been oh. working on a lot of lyrics. With a guitar? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sweet. Uh-huh. Cool. Do you have recordings up or no? I have them. I've been trying to... Uh, I'm trying to hone them. Cool. So I'm working with this new software. Sweet. What kind of software? Uh, it's something a friend put on my computer that's like gives you more uh, options than like GarageBand. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So, but I'm not very good at it right now. Yeah. Because like, there's Are you tinkering with different effects and stuff, or yeah, I'm trying to. Vocal or just music? What's that? Vocal effects or just music? Yeah, everything. Everything. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Dude. I want to. I want to make it more elaborate. That sounds sick. Uh-huh. What? Um, what, uh, yeah, I've been thinking more, I've been listening to more singer, like that kind of minimal song, like, you know, like Bill Callahan? 
I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Bill Callahan. Okay. I feel like he, he, I put him in a category of like, Sun Kill Moon or like, oh, yeah. The Doors. Oh, really? Stuff where uh-huh. they sometimes, he'll sometimes just be like on some poetry shit uh-huh. all of a sudden, you oh, know, really? he's just like dropping bars. Uh-huh. But he's coming to Philly tonight. And oh, Nick wow. and Zach are going, but it's sold out, dude. But I've been listening to him more lately. He has that song, Amer- America, America. You hear that one? I don't know. That's Word. Familiar. Yeah, I should show you some of that, dude. Or I should just send you some of that. But um, but I'm totally just assuming a style on... Wait, wait. But that's cool. Though. I want to hear some of your recordings, too. Yeah. That's another thing about going to a program is, like, remembering all the different facets of, like, my creative process and just, like... Continue yeah. to emphasize all of them and, and not get into like sort of professionalizing mindset. Even though like that can be I'm a scheme and try to get good good, pro- good projects done. Yeah, That's yeah. always my goal. Mm-hmm. But I've been thinking more because I've I fucked around with some music stuff too. And I sometimes initially it was just with the guitar, mm-hmm. and then I started just like rapping on beats. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So you make your own beats. Sometimes. Yeah. There's one project where I made all the beats, but then there's also projects where I just found beats on SoundCloud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I started out well, doing singer-songwriting, and then I just became a SoundCloud uh-huh. <laughs> But I've been thinking more about going back to stripping stuff down again. But anyway. Yeah, well, I like to mess around with everything, um, musically. Are, are there projects that you've been inspired by lately? Uh... That, for your own work? You know Sun Kill Moon, though? Yeah. You like mm-hmm. some of Sun Kill Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like um, artists. Uh, someone I, I'm really into is Beck. Um, I oh, love word? How, yeah. Sick. I love how multifaceted his music and his approach is. Mm. Like, he really puts a lot of thought into all aspects of his creative process. You know? So, musically, he's incredible. Like, I love how he defies any genre. He'll, he'll mm. do any kind of style. It's like sonically complex. Right, exactly. And even within a particular song, you know, it'll be a mixture of all these different styles. Sweet. And which I really love. I always thought it was so weird how people could narrow narrow down their style to just like one thing or the other. Right. You know, like everyone likes a lot of different stuff. Right. So why wouldn't you incorporate everything? Right. You like, right. You know, and this could be applied to anything, like like uh, a novel, like what you know. Absolutely. Or, or a film like why wouldn't you include everything that inspires you yeah the way yeah just, exactly exactly why would you limit limit it you have more yeah. why, you have more tools on right deck. why would you just use that one tool yeah use everything you use can use everything you can yeah because that's going to be more interesting yeah and the synthesis uh, that occurs when the you what combine the, the synthesis synthesis you know? yeah especially you know things that don't seem like they should go together. Right. Although it can like backfire. It sure. can be really ridiculous. But sometimes right. you get these really interesting concoctions. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. I feel like I've been writing more with a lot of line breaks. Oh, the project yeah. I'm working on is like a lot of li- and, like, and it's like I always usually when I start writing I think of like the thing I want to say yeah. and then I think of like a million like digressions or right. like or like uh, or like um flashbacks or like mood set or like yeah. preliminaries right. for the thing. And with this project, I'm just trying to fucking only write the thing. Really? I'm just trying to... And wow. naturally, uh-huh. a couple really necessary right. flashbacks or digressions uh-huh. have to come up. Sure. But the whole goal is... Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Get to the end of the thing. Oh, a lot yeah. of times, I'll spiral out. Right. Like, I worked on one project super long, and the whole idea... Like, the idea of the project was a thing that happened, which was, like, me and my friend, like, going to Humboldt and, like, working on, like, weed stuff. Oh, really? I was like... 
that's gonna be the story. <laughs> and I wrote low key, I wrote like uh -huh. a whole novel's length. I wrote like 70k words. Wow. And we haven't fucking yeah, left yet, the, bro. <laughs> we haven't even we haven't even fucking so like so with this project it's like but but basically the point was to what you were saying was sometimes the way I feel like I'm writing it, yeah. I'm almost speaking in like my text voice or my, or like like it almost feels like I'm writing like bars, like writing yeah. raps. Isn't that interesting like when I'm you just, have these limitations imposed on you? Yeah. How it affects not only how you write but how you think about what you're trying to write. Right. Right. You have to think in those terms. Right. Can't say okay. I can just like let it go and right. just have the stream of and also tangents. it ties to what you were saying about with Dennis Johnson. Some of his stories ending abruptly or the kind of randomness right. of them. That has to do, I feel like, with what we were saying earlier about how if the ideas aren't attached to you, you can just sort of drop an idea, right. throw it out there, and then move on to the next month. Right. So I'm moving in months. So move on to the next month right. and think of a different. Because if you feel like it's attached to you, you want to sum it up and you want to yeah. explain what the idea was. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes things balloon yeah. out, I think. That's what all my older projects yeah. were about, like, I feel like. They, everything ballooned out and, like, just say, just stop. Get yeah. out when it's right. time to. Right. Like, the, also, the reader's tired. They want to stop reading now. <laughs> like, give, you know, like, yeah, you have stop to fucking banging the them on the head um, with the fucking, you know, idea hammer. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right. They, they've understood it by this point. Right. Or it's like they, or it's like you don't even understand it. It's just a thing. Like, you know what I mean? Right. And I do like, um, you were saying earlier, ambiguity and giving the, allowing the reader to figure things out. Yeah. You know, you don't need to underline things. And that's something I really appreciate about someone like David Lynch. Totally. You know, he just Don't lays stuff out there. out there. Yeah. And then he just pulls back. Yeah. And either you find meaning in it or you don't. Or you just kind of contemplate it. Right. It's just, but I love how it's, uh, it gives you this feeling of the uncanny. And I like how maybe it's not explainable in a sort of rational way. That's what but you understand it on a different level. Right. Let the readers figure it out yeah. or not figure it or out. Or not figure it out. Yeah. And you want to be careful not to frustrate people. Absolutely. You don't want to be... You want to create a full representation yes. of the idea that right. they're exploring. Yes, you exactly. want to see it all the way through. Right. You're not trying to go, but... Like, dump <laughs> Right. Whatever, you know? way. Right, right. Which... That's the worst... You know, it comes off so pretentious. It comes off so pretentious. And, yeah, yeah oh yeah, what I was going to say was... Uh, it's also, like writing in that way or challenge yourself to write in that way also seems like some kind of exercise in like restraint <laughs> right. or, or restraint or yeah like not the opposite of like overzealousness or like thirst yeah you know like whatever like maybe it's too ascetic you know like just maybe but sometimes it's okay to pull out for the end you know uh, oh, that, that, um... Sometimes pulling out is okay. <laughs> Speaking of uh, other things we were talking about earlier. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's nice to have an unexpectedly abrupt sort of ending. Not one that where you feel like um, it, it's like uh, done for a certain effect, but just... Right. That's where this thing ends. And it's better to end before, before the reader loses interest. Right. Rather than stretching something out too long, right, right? You don't want to leave people frustrated. What? But I think with that the right, the end? and that's what you could do with like short stories, like those short stories yeah. just moving on. But I wonder with like a full novel or right. a type of contained work, that's what is difficult about finishing them. I feel like yeah, is pushing pushing through to the end. Uh -huh. Do you know what I mean? Right. And it's that, it's rare like, that I found like a novel that 
doesn't end. That ends on the like at the right moment. Huh. I feel like it's so hard when you're dealing with that many characters with that much length. Right. And you have so many themes going. And you Did you read uh, Jenny Offal, Department of Speculation? Oh, what is it? Oh, okay, it's just a novel. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a sort of about. Uh, it's like 2014. It's sort of about like a woman. Um, uh, uh, it's written really anecdotally like that, mm. and it's sort of about a, a woman with a child. And her husband cheats on her, mm. and then starts like dating a younger woman right Whoa. when the child's like five or six. Uh, so it's like an explorate. It's like a it's like a bunch of different <laughs> ventings and rants. Right. And her view of it changes a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Throughout and and but it just I brought only brought that up because the ending is like a little bit ambiguous mm-hmm. of like whether they get they're going to keep trying or not. Oh, really? And it, mm-hmm. I I and I've heard people with different. Wasn't that how it. how it would play out for the most part? Absolutely, you it's know? probably an ongoing thing. Right. And, you know, everything, every relationship until somebody dies is sort of ongoing. I feel like, and even <laughs> if it's just how you feel about it, even though you no carry that reason. with you, yeah, sure. Yeah. So anyway, I felt like that was an example of um, an ending that could be perceived as abrupt, but was also, I don't know. Yeah, I just. I was going to ask you if you thought that ending was abrupt, but you haven't read it. <laughs> well, I feel like short stories do that so well. They leave things open. Leave things open. And sometimes novels try to tie everything together. Right. A little too cleanly. A little too clean. You know, you don't want to just give us the rest of these people's lives, you know, and let right. us know everything that happened to them after the story ends. Right. Let us f- try to imagine that ourselves. Have the, intuit- have the ending be a sort of intuitive thing versus yeah. like an arc that you're rounding out. Right, yeah, I, yeah. that's that's really good. Keep going the same way you've been going until it's like time to stop. Yeah. Don't shift Don't shift your approach at like 70% in to like, <laughs> let's land this plane now. Right. You know, that's where I'm at with my project. I'm oh, like, yeah. Am I, what am I, I can I just, uh, <laughs> It's also just the panic of like once you get far in the thing. Like, uh, I, I, what am I even talking about here? <laughs> But, um, huh, so how do you manage that? How are you dealing with that? Do you try to step away? I've been stepping away. Yeah. And I've just been writing in my notes. But it's also, I feel like I'm getting too planny now. Getting right. too planny, you know? Yeah. But, um, but I think you ought to keep your head down. And I think the source of anxiety is that when some, the thing that people say of like, you got to keep pushing or else you're going to forget. You know, you got to always write the thing down whenever you even think of it. Huh. Or I don't know, but maybe that's like just like some I found neurosis. that sometimes, but also there's so much that I never wrote down, yeah, and I don't think I'm missing, you know, totally. Because there's so much that I did write down that you look at the next day, yeah, and you don't know why you wrote it down, right? I think I'm pivoting out of that feeling like I need to write down everything all the time, and then because I feel like if your mind is aiming at a certain certain thing, even if you don't write it down immediately. You come back to it in the writing eventually. You start writing again the next day, and maybe you've completely forgotten the thing right. from before. But eventually, as you go through ideas and you write line after line, it sort of emerges again. It, it emerges. It yeah. reminds you of it. I mean, it's also yeah. sort of like you were saying with like the mixing of journalism and fiction writing yeah. or whatever. 
like you think of the classic Victorian sense, like you want to be in that imaginative space mm-hmm. and you want to you want to see it through to the end. Right. But it's also if, if it's more like journalism, you got to keep investigating the question, right. and talking to people right. until you're, you, you're you're ready. And I feel like this conversation alone is making I don't know. Like I'm like I had a moment earlier where I was like I'm really glad I ran to you and have this conversation with you because I know it's going to influence how I proceed and. Mm-hmm. And it was, there was like a, I wouldn't have had that realization without this conversation, I feel like. Which was mainly like, that, that idea of, the idea isn't attached to you. Yeah. You I mean, know? Yeah, yeah. I don't like being too precious about any idea. Because that's, inevitably it's always hampered me. Because I get, uh, I'm unwilling to give up on things. That aren't working. You're cl- yeah, exactly. Yeah, you start clinging onto them. And also, things. it sort of narrows where I allow myself to go. It narrows the possibility. Some of the best, you know, often the best, the most exciting stuff just is discovered in the process. Like, I had right. no intention, no fore planning, and I got to a place in the process of writing, right. which was so much better than where I had initially planned to go. Right. If you just let eventually you let the story take over, let the characters take over. Yeah, that's that's what's hard about it. I feel yeah. like it's pretty easy to write the first half of a novel. Yeah, because you it's hard plan, to keep it going. But then if you want it to remain alive, you have right. to let it you have to be you have to improvise. Right. And get, let it go where it's going. Right. Like keep improvising. That's why it's, that's that's why I feel like I always come back to like music or like rap and yeah. stuff. Because yeah. that brain that mode is yeah. the improvisation brain. Right. Like one of the mixtapes I put out was all freestyles. Oh wow. But then it was a whole bunch of freestyles and then like I, I later kind of yeah. honed in on the ones yeah, that I like. That's that's a really good approach. Yeah. Initially having a totally free attitude right and then come up with this incredible stuff and then some of it's not that strong yeah but then yeah you snip out the really cool parts exactly and, like, snip out the best parts collage, and collage together. it together yeah and it's amazing it's incredible and you could never have done that if you just set out right to do it in that particular way i i saw um a couple like a month ago i saw james elroy um, oh is that the, again he he's like this crime fiction writer he oh, wrote yeah. like uh the the Black Dahlia, okay. through L.A. Confidential. Oh, okay. Uh, he's got this really intense style, taken from like tabloid reporting from like the '50s, this sort of like staccato cadence. Huh. Really interesting. And he's uh, yeah, he's, he's uh, where do you read? What's that? Where did you he see was at, He was at the the Parkway Central Branch, the Free Library. Amazing. He had this new book come out, and he uh, got up there and he spoke for a while, and he read from this book. And he took questions from the audience, and I was so it was so fascinating. He's a really entertaining guy. He sort of has this public persona, which uh. is kind of larger than life, and very like sort of con- confrontational. Interesting. And much more, um, what would you say? Much more uh, like naughty and like uh, yeah. taboo. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then he, he like when I there was him on stage, and then afterwards I had him sign a copy of the book, and he was just so sweet. That's amazing. And appreciative. Yeah, but his his public style is very very aggressive. Interesting. When you saw got him one on one, he was like, yeah, he, yeah. kind of winking at you, <laughs> exactly. like you know, we're wilding out. Yeah, he's very soft. But, and, like, but fuck yeah, party. thanks for fucking yeah, my butt. Right, exactly. <laughs> That's lit. <laughs> but one thing I thought was interesting was how much time he takes uh, plotting out his novel. Huh. They're very complex. There's so many characters. He's talking about that, or just, you could yeah. just tell that from the book. Well, no, he, he. Somebody asked him about mm. his writing process. Mm. He said he spends like a year Amazing. with his editor going, he, he doesn't write the novel, he just writes um, the outline. Whoa. And so he goes through it and he's writing 
a lot about history. Like a lot of his novels take place in like the 40s and 50s uh, and 60s. Uh, and so a lot of it incorporates also real events and, and real people. There's a historic, there's a historical investigative aspect right, to the writing. Right, for sure. And research. And, yeah, so he's laying out this narrative outline, as he called it, and so he works on it with his editor to make sure everything lines up, all the characters are where they should be, you know, and when one thing's happening to one character, another thing's happening to another character, he has to make sure like, they're right. in the same the places where they need to be. Interesting. But I thought, you know, that's a lot of preparation. Spending right. a year just doing a comprehensive outline that's right. like hundreds of pages long, almost as long as wow. the eventual novel will be. Wow. And it made me think about different approaches. Right. Some people just begin right there on the first page without really any pre-planning. And right. Some people do like an outline, maybe it's like a couple pages, 10, 15 right. pages. But he's spending a whole year pre-prepping. Right. So every page of his no eventual novel, every scene is like mapped out. It's already been mapped out. Yeah, all the characters, what they're going to say, their intentions, their motivations, what they're there for, what they're there to do, where it's going to take place, what the environment will look like, every aspect right. of it. Right. And so for him, that's the structure, the foundation that he builds on. Do you feel like that's, would you, do you feel like that's doing something different than something else that tries to invest, kind of what we were talking about earlier, that tries to investigate some nebulous, like, ethical question right. and then keeps trying, having, keeps mm -hmm. cycling through the different feelings right. about it? Do you feel like that's, that almost seems yeah. like, uh... I was wondering about that. Crudely, it's that seems, sorry to cut you off, but just to finish that, the crudely, that seems like a... Uh, a literary fiction versus yeah. genre fiction right. distinction, but do you think that's valid or? I think so. I think that distinction does hold up because one seems so, I guess, uh, so locked into a plot. Right. And the other is so loose and tangential and it's fresher as you read it because you have no idea necessarily where it's going, what its intentions are, right. how it feels about its themes, right? You know, that's being explored as that's a novel being explored being as a novel being written. So there's yeah. still something that's being explored as a novel being written. Yeah. You feel like you feel and like that when you're reading it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like because he, he also said that he does this intensive narrative outline, but then he doesn't feel that uh, handcuffed to it as he's writing. Ah, interesting. You know, so he gives himself all kinds of leeway huh. at, when he actually sits down to write. Yeah. That year, whatever, however long it takes him right. to actually write right. the novel. Right. Right. So at any moment, you know, he can take it in whatever direction he's inspired to take right. it. And of course, his no his, all of his novels deal with incredibly corrupt and ethically murky people mm. and, and systems. Interesting. That's sort of his life that's work his, is investigating thing. Okay, cool. murky ethical Interesting. dilemmas. Interesting. Yeah, this, the, yeah, the project I'm working on now is the first time I did that. I plotted out uh, what every chapter was going to be about, yeah. and I had every, but it wasn't like it was just like the name of the month, and then it was like one word. <laughs> oh, really? Like, the thing to focus on. Oh, the yeah. Next chapter, but I never even did that. Oh, yeah. And I think it's because I because I had that idea of like you got to always be searching, which right. is a good idea. Yeah. Which is a good idea in terms of the uh, thematic or ethical things you're investigating, but maybe not for the maybe not for the plot, only as far as. You'll never get to the end. That's right, what's happened to right. me. I have things that are already way too long. Yeah. To, you know, like, I just, I know my tendency. I'm right. like, digression, digression. I feel like that's like, yeah. that's like how well, I... That's so exciting. Right, right. But but I think there is something to, uh, in, a, in the way that 
pulling out early or keeping things short yeah. is respectful to the reader. I think there's something about plotting plots yeah. or just some kind of thing. Yeah, plot to me is often like a dirty word. Right. I've heard it said, I don't remember who said it, uh, some film critic, maybe Roger Ebert, said something like, he, he made a distinction between plot and story. Right. And I think he was talking about the movies of Martin Scorsese. Oh, like, okay. They don't, his movies don't have plots. Or maybe it was Robert Altman, oh, somebody okay. like that. Yeah. Where there's a lot of, maybe Robert Altman, there's so many digressions. Right. So many characters. It definitely tells a story. There's a beginning, a middle, and there's a, cl- clearly this narrative happening. Right. But it but doesn't follow point A and point B. It doesn't have like a plot outline. Right. Like you could write down on a piece of paper and show someone and say, this is how it's going to unfold. Right. Which, to me, is so much more interesting and engaging. Because if you are locked into a standard plot, you know, you... At some point, you start to catch on what the plot is. Because, you know, there's only, like, a few basic plots that are reused over and over. And so we begin to understand where we're headed. And, and that takes some of the... takes away from the specificity of yeah. it because it fits into a pre, pre, pre-established mold, right. mold, right? Is that true? Yeah, exactly. And it, well, it's, if, especially if someone is following it in a really like, if specific following, way. Yes. And then you get a little bit depressed or you feel like a little bit... You, lo- you lose your engagement a right. little bit. It's like, okay, I know where this is going now. Right. It's going to have to fulfill these certain plot right. points. I think that's why I'm stalling out, too. I feel like I'm workshopping the project I'm working on that you haven't read <laughs> by like hearing what you say about other art oh. <laughs> but um but I guess my general plot or can I can I yeah, pitch you the project and you yeah. tell me because my I think that's what I'm feeling is I have this idea of a plot but I'm worried about where it's going to go because I'm I'm doing the thing where I'm already figuring out what it is and I'm not continuing to discover it oh yeah which I, it's what I'm worried about mm-hmm. but I feel like the general plot is like this it's like um it's like it's like a, it's a, so the project is called, um, the project is called, um, Fuckboy, <laughs> but it's about a bike courier guy who's like really broke and he's kind of like a fuckboy because he's like, or he's thinking of himself as a fuckboy because he's like, has a lot of different people that he considers like his bae, uh-huh. you know? And he's also like, there's also like the, the shadow of like a breakup that, oh, yeah. that was due to like infidelities and being a fuckboy. Uh-huh. So it goes through like a year and a half of his life, and it just goes by months, little things for every month. But basically the big arc is like, he's kind of like wilding out and has all these like crazy ideas about stuff, and he's kind of bitter and resentful right. and stuff, but then his like health completely crashes out, and his body like, and then he's like hospitalized, and then like, that's the end. Yeah, that's a good place to end. Yeah. Or something like that. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? I'm at the point now where it's like, I'm like nine months in, mm-hmm. and like... Sixteen hundred, sixteen thousand words. Mm-hmm. So that's like a novella is like seventeen fifty to like forty, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of it as a novella. Yeah. So I'm like maybe like halfway. That's really awesome. But then I start to go, okay, now is the now 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 is the crash out time. Now is the body call, you know? And it right. seems like a little bit of a preformed, right. like this guy with all these crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. But it was only because his health, his body was oh. he was bad. So then now he's gonna I have. Like it's tied too closely. Like if that's the. The motivation behind it. Right. Like it's too obvious. It's too what? It's too obvious. See, that's what I'm worried yeah. about. And I'm like, am I just going to go hip, pivot into like a more moralizing mode of like his epiphanies from this? You oh, know yeah. what I mean? And that's like the fear, I think. Yeah. But... Does he have to have an epiphany? 
he doesn't. I don't want him. I don't want him to. I don't want him to. Yeah, and I think I don't. Yeah. So I have to emphasize not doing that. And then I think also a thing about plot. I didn't really let you answer my question. I don't even have had a question. But thing you're saying earlier about the importance of plot is I feel like the most exciting parts that I reread operate in a sort of plot uh, in a descriptive mode. Yeah. Because I feel like it oscillates between like a description of a scene that happens and then sort of more the internal ideas Mm -hmm. like that are being thrown out you know it's almost like two modes but when something feels like really tight descriptions and sort of plotted and and weird things are happening like weird interactions with people and randomly randomly those are the most exciting parts to read yeah i mean i don't want to stay in that mode i think i don't want to like be completely dismissive of plot i always think of you know kurt vonnegut's rules for writers uh i think the first one that he emphasized above all it's like have something be happening that's something happening. You know, you got to give the reader something exactly. going, that's going on. Something is happening. Exactly. Yeah. Give them some, some food. Yeah. Food. Yeah. You got to keep things moving. Yeah. Because that feeds the body. Because the body is, is in there, and the body feels yeah. like they're in one yeah. of the bodies. Yeah. If you're just throwing ideas out there, it's sort of like, okay, cool, cool. You throw me some ideas after a few pages. After a few pages, you and want something to happen. Little things. Yeah. 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 Even if it's something small. Pepper. Pepper in those no, versus yeah. having those be the main focus. Right. What, what I mean is sort yeah, of more figure out theoretical. The yeah, that's that's the balance. That's the balance. I keep thinking of that show yeah, Louie, like, which yeah. I love, and, and I feel like he does this so well. Yeah. And I, I, I'm constantly amazed at, at how much story he's able to pack into like 22 minutes. A weird thing that happens. So much happens and it's always unexpected. It's always unexpected. You never ever know where. Was there something with the Any, where any episode is, is going? Go. Something happened with the elevator in one where elevator yeah. gets broken or they get There's stuck in an elevator. Stuck in the the elevator. lady and then they're talking a bunch yeah. and then the thing ends. Right. Or, or, it, lead, or something. it leads to um, this like multi-part yes, story arc about her, about the old lady's. I think it's her niece or something mm-hmm. visiting from like where like Hungary or something. Right. And she and Louis form this bond, right. even though she doesn't speak English. She doesn't That's speak right. Hungarian. Yeah. But they form a relationship and it's right. this really sweet like three or four episode arc. Yeah. And it ends in a really bittersweet way but they have these beautiful moments and yeah. these really funny moments. Yeah. And he eventually finds um, this guy at this Hungarian restaurant who can translate this letter. That's right. Written. And it's one of the most beautiful moments in yeah. the show. Yeah. Yeah, but dude. it's it's it takes a couple episodes for that, yeah, right? Yeah, because sometimes you can take a couple episodes. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, because there's like an episode about that, and then the next episode will not include that, and then he'll come back to it for a couple episodes. Right. Like spaces out because of course that's how his life is, and that's how most of our lives are. Like right. You know, the thing that's most pressing to us, we're most we're most excited about, often we'll have to take us you know second place right for these other concerns but for then the we come concerns. back to it and you're somehow always addressing that most pressing thing yeah. by looking at your interactions right you got to look at your interactions with people yeah. to understand what you think instead of trying to say what you think yeah yeah you know that reminds me of something um matthew weiner said the, who's that again he, he's the guy who created Mad Men. oh yeah and he something that i always recognize but he put it together so well he said you know in our dialogue um we often don't say things directly. Right. Because people don't often talk about what they're really thinking about. Right, right. 
you know, and you're saying and other things that are like kind right, of tapping kind of related to that kind of related. Really, you're really concerned about. So the dialogue is often it's such excellent dialogue on that show. Yeah. But it's often got this like note of ambiguity, right? Where, it, where it's like people will be asked a direct question and they don't answer it directly. They say something else that goes sideways. Right. I love writing dialogue like that. And I feel like that's I, the best kind of dialogue. That's one rule, like quote unquote yeah. writing rule that I that stuck with me is like when you're writing dialogue, no one ever answers the question. Don't answer a question. Don't ever answer the question. No. And it's so you get fun. Get stuck there. It's, it's like so improvisation. Fun. Like, uh, I feel like yeah. You have you know you have to it's do like something improvisation. different from what the last person call, like, did. Call and respond. Yeah. You're always responding. Yeah. Responding, but never answering. No. Because once no. you answer, it's over. It's over. The di- That's the how I feel head. like. I feel like because I'm writing with line breaks. Uh-huh. But I feel like when you write dialogue, you write quick line breaks. Yeah. So I feel like I'm. Everything is like either an external or internal dialogue. Uh-huh. Or description. When you write. Do you like write with like quotation marks or like a. Sometimes. Like a hyphen or something? If a dialogue dialogue comes out, I'm just yeah. using standard rules for that. Mm-hmm. Using, but then also going into like the internal. I'm also. I feel like there's like the one person I'm just making a distinction like mm-hmm. the one person going through an experience mm-hmm. staying in that per- perspective type of novel and then there's like a spanning type yeah, of novel yeah. oh, you know yeah. what I mean like you ever read like Hunger by Knut Humpson yes you have yeah okay you know it's just like a dude fucking yeah. out here and then the whole novel is just like him <laughs> going, a bunch of things you yeah, know but moment by moment his staying agony. in the, it's like uh-huh. pick a mode and stay right, in that mode right. and I feel like this project's mode is yeah. very much like that in, yeah. in one person's perspective yeah, so that means one, I can do things with, view, with voice because mm-hmm. anytime I'm doing like like reflections on an yeah. event it's assumed that this voice it stays in that voice and then right, everything right. can feel like a dialogue either an internal dialogue or an external dialogue right. you know yeah and you can you know, totally get away with that. If the voice is unique and interesting enough, you don't need anything else. Right. The voice will sustain the narrative. It's almost like that's a different type of, that's a different angle of investigation, which yeah. I feel like I know I'll return to, but right now, it's been really satisfying to just actually challenge myself to only right. stay in that. It's another limitation I'm setting up. Right. You know? That makes me think of that Martin Amos novel, Money. Did you ever read that? I think I have that, dude. Some my cousin was recommending his short stories Heavy Water to me really adamantly recently and I got that but I haven't read that book Martin Amos incredible Money the whole whole novel is just the the voice of this character Mm. like I mean all these things happen to him and there's certainly like a a story but but he, he even said in this interview he said that novel was all about the voice of this character if I didn't get that right it wouldn't be it wouldn't be anything yeah right Voice that voice that voice it's so distinctive it's so funny and it's so intriguing you gotta pick an engine you, you have to pick an engine to drive the car right and right. it can be plot it yeah. can be voice uh-huh. it can be probably other things but those are two I yeah, thought of yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know it could be form some kind of formal yeah, like, pattern yeah exactly you know uh-huh. but voice is, is yeah I feel like a lot of yeah there's a type of like short novel that sort of feels like it has to be voice driven yeah. because you don't have enough time to yeah. jump around a lot, you know? Yeah. You have to establish right away the what makes this distinctive and worth worth, right. worth reading. Right. You don't have yeah, like you're saying you don't have time to draw it out right. and build it up. You can't really build a world. You kinda gotta earn that. Yeah. Oh yeah, you, you have to come out that. strong from the beginning. Yeah, you can't you, you can't know? assume like someone's gonna like, follow you as you jump yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, you got to. Yeah, I guess it's the same principle for a short story, you know. Right. Something really clear has to happen. Something that pulls you right in. I keep thinking during this conversation of Raymond Carver. Yeah. How good he is at setting up a person or a situation right away, within a few sentences. And his sentences aren't very descriptive. They're, you know, sort of these statements of fact almost. You're immediately intrigued. Yeah. And then it just goes so on. So good at that. And you just have He's no so idea where it's that. going. Starting. And there's always this, like, sense of danger. But of usually danger. nothing really yeah. terrible happens. But it's always, yeah. like, on the verge. What is that? Usually, like, internally, the characters are on the verge of, hey, on the verge of collapse. Or some right. sort of cal- internal calamity. Right. Their lives are falling apart around them. That's how you do it. There's something going on. But you don't say what's going on. Yeah. You just ride around that. Out, but, but it's yeah. very clear. you got to think of the thing that's going on yeah. in order to make it like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I read the first half of, uh, like, maybe the first 200 pages of where where I'm calling from. Yeah, that's a great clip. And then I was out in Santa Monica with my mom because <laughs> I was all crashed out last November because my health was so bad. Oh, no. And I was reading it, but it was a library copy. <laughs> and when I came back after a month, I, I was only halfway through. So I had to return the library book. But then Nick, my friend Nick, lent me his copy. But I was just going through packing up all my stuff. Uh-huh. And I found it, and I still haven't finished it. <laughs> so I'm like, I mentioned to him, I was like, oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I definitely want that back. And I was oh. like, all right. <laughs> so I got to rail through that. I got to rail through that now. It's on a separate yeah. pile. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's definitely worth it. It's good to have a restraint on, your, on the book, too. <laughs> that that's that's a library yeah. mode. If you got a timeline, you're gonna read that. If you got yeah. a, that's one of the yeah things I hear often quickly. from people. You know, they could just go out and buy a copy. Say, no, I have too right. many things I'm reading. Right. I need motivation. Right, 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 right. I need a time frame. Are you the Are you the guy who has to lock down on the late fees? For sure, yeah. <laughs> you're the late fee warden. That's part of the job. Got, yeah. People coming back, they've been holding on to fucking the Goblet of Fire for four years. <laughs> like, bro, you gotta finish this, dude. There's a fucking Quidditch tournament. Get, you get you to step in, bud. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great, dude. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm thinking of, I feel like there's a lot, I've enough homies in West where, like, there'll be, like, the monthly gathering that I'll just mm-hmm. miss it back for. Oh, once, that's it, awesome. Once this, you know, for yeah. the next couple years, like, Two hours by bus, and I live right near 125th Street in Harlem, Uh so, um, or I got the spot there, so I can miss it back, like, in the same, like, almost as much, you gotta think of, like, L.A., it takes, like, two hours to drive across L.A. It's ridiculous. On, like, a night, but it takes two hours to get here from New York, (laughs) so it's, like, I don't really think I'm moving. Philadelphia, the, fifth borough. The fifth fifth borough, yeah. Or is it six? Six, I don't know. It might be the six. I'm six. not sure. I got to get my borough, my borough knowledge <laughs> up, dude. Get I'm a fake-ass New Yorker right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sick that that one book is set in the Bronx because I was, uh, I'm oh, on yeah. like 131st and Lenox, so I'm just giving my coordinates. But it's right near the Bronx, the bridge to the Bronx. Right. And when yeah. I was out there last week, one of the subway trains back, you get off in the Bronx and walk across the bridge. Anyway, and I was thinking about living in the Bronx, but it's going to be sick to explore yeah, a, new, like there now, but a new city. I think it sort of hit its, like, the I'm years. sure it was a completely different ballgame in the like 80s. late 70s I'm sure. the 80s. All through the 80s, I think. It was Absolutely. Such a hell of a But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's whatever it is now, it's and like it's going to change. Things, all you need to do is say the Bronx. Say that again? And it was like one of those places geographically. All you it's had like to do is say the Bronx. It's like a charged word. 
and it conjures up all, all these totally. sort of nightmarish vision of the, all the worst aspects of modern, you know, big city life. You could frighten small children, you yeah, know, in like Cardi, Ohio. That's where Cardi B's from. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's still pretty Fat rough, Joe. You know? Yeah. I just base my bro knowledge by like what rappers are from where. Yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm about to go to Harlem. That's Big L, that's ASAP Rocky, let's go. <laughs> that, that makes me sound super ignorant, but I'm trying to say that loving. Well, that's how, you know, we like introduce ourselves to places. Yeah. Like, what do you know about a place except, yeah. oh, it's filtered through somebody's experience. Yeah. That's what I love. If I stay in like an investigative mode, I love the idea of like going to a new place and having a new place to explore and investigate. Wasn't that why sometimes you'll read somebody? Yeah. You want to know about a place. What that place is like. Because they're kind of like. the chronicler exactly. of a certain place. You know, yeah. Like, like the South, you know, you read Faulkner, you read, um, what's right. her name? Um, Flannery O'Connor. Yeah, Flannery O'Connor. Yeah. You read these people. I just found that collection. It's so funny when you're moving and you got to go through all your books and you realize you were operating on like a nine book rotation. <laughs> right. And you're finding like hidden compartments and you're like, dude, what's, you know, I mean, yeah. you have to like sort of acknowledge each one. Yeah. If you're gonna take it, like I have like a, I have a books that I might throw out. That's yeah. like the philosophy book from like my philosophy and language class, like undergrad. You know, oh, it's yeah, not even like, like a, go. it's not even like a, per, it's just like a fucking textbook. I'm yeah. like, why do I still have this? <laughs> it's hard to look. But I have my my books to discard, and I swear there's like three in there. Oh, like weird. you know, I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna call like all these, and I'm, every time I get one, I'm like, you know, I remember when I found you. <laughs> I still love you. I've just been I've just been away for a little bit, like. But that's a funny process. You remember all the all the different threads you had. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of what I need right now because I haven't been reading as much. It's but. a hard thing to do. I've never mastered that. Um, I don't know if a lot of writers can be really engaged in, in reading and also be really engaged with writing. It sort of oscillates. I've I only feel read like, from my experience. one interview with someone who, like Philip Roth. He said he has no problem working all day and then at night right. lying in bed and, and reading and right. being really. Right. Engage with what he's reading, right? But I sure can't do that, especially if you're in a peak writing mode. Because I feel like when you're in peak writing mode, yeah. you you got sick of everything you're reading. Like yeah, no one is writing it. what you want to right, read, so right. you have to write what you want right. to read. Exactly, that's the perfect way to, yeah. way to say that. I'm like, no, you guys aren't doing. I know, no. and then and then your you brain's like, well, down. then do it. Yeah, well, yeah, it's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like getting mad at everyone. I'm like, this is not what I want yeah. right now. This is not working. <laughs> but then that's a good reason to write too indeed or a good reason to create anything like that's what I feel about my music like no one's doing it for me right now yeah. so I have to you have make to make stuff it. I want to hear exactly it's so fun when you come back to that it's like I've read all the books what's that one uh, like Bologna quotes his dude a lot is it Flaubert there's a whole French writer, like early century French writer mm -hmm. category that I'm, or it might be Mallarme. Oh yeah, Mallarme. Oh, it's Mallarme. Yeah, that's, is it, that's a, is a it, big is it, on it's, it's French? Yeah. So it's, you say the L's. I'm not sure about He's that. always quoting it. I see the double L's, uh -huh. so I'm like in Spanish mode. So I'm like, my, yeah, I'm using uh -huh. the, the, but I don't know what it is. I've never heard it said aloud. But it's uh, this one, this one, um, it's the poem that, the epigraph for 2666 is drawn right, from, right. I think, well, that might have been Baudelaire, in Oasis of Horror, sure, could uh, be in, in a desert of horror, an oasis of something, but basically, I think it's unpacking the whole poem, yeah. it's from his collections, um, but one, it starts out like, it's like, I've read all the books, Yeah. it's like, I've read all the books, mm -hmm. like when you get to the point where yeah. you've read all the books, and there's nothing left to do, yeah. that's an exciting moment. Yeah, of course, it's not... 
true. It's not fine. It's not true. But at a moment in your life, and as a writer or as a creative person, you feel like, yes, I don't. I, I'm full now. I'm full. I can't eat anymore. I ate. I now, or, or you feel like I can't be a consumer anymore. I need to be a producer. Right. Right. You're just overflow, you overflow, yes. overfilled with, with inspiration. I railed all the wings. Happy hour is over. Yeah. Now it's time to puke. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to disgorge. You've got to release somehow. Yeah. You've got to find some way to yeah. get it out. Poop or, or puke. I definitely feel that Poop way. Poop is right better because then you sit on it and it goes through you. Right. You puke, it's, you're it's, prema- it's a premature, right. premature right. ejection <laughs> no, of the idea. Yeah, it's your body uh, rebelling against you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not working in concert with you. <laughs> you made your body very angry. I didn't think I was going to make it out today. It was too blasted out. And then, like, we've, the shade spot's so clutch. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah, have you, been, have you been handling the heat? Do you have, like, AC and stuff? Or have I you been getting outside on these days? I do. Like, I've... It's been pretty Or you got the AC usually. coffee shops to go to. Yeah, that's one. But in my place, I have an, I have an AC unit, but I haven't really been using it. Um, I've had other strategies. It hasn't gotten that bad yet. Like... It's all relative. <laughs> yeah. For me, like, I'm I feel like I'm a, Cali, I'm a, a California boy. boy. Yeah. I'm, where did you I'm, grow up again? I grew up in, in Seattle and in Northwest. Los that's, Angeles. That's where, that's where uh, Corinna, my, my friend's partner I was telling you about, she just moved from, well, she moved from Portland, but oh, she yeah. grew up in near Seattle. I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. I think maybe the Northwest to the, does it get really hot on the Northwest? Not really. Okay. Yeah, I got no excuses now. No, I'm such a weather. I've not gotten used to this weather at all. So I always dread, you know, summers and winters. But I'm trying to. Yes, yes. Just, and and it was it's bad because I feel like I'm so reclusive for most of the year because the weather is so right, bad. Right, right, right. But now I'm, this summer anyway. Cool. So far, I'm just, like, I'm just gotta get out there. You're getting better at handling and it. And go out more. And last summer, I, I got blasted because I was trying to do like January. Trying to be outside, work outside all the time, and that's when my body got really like inflamed. And oh stuff. yeah, you so I'm all apprehensive now. But uh, you also got it, just not sit. I think also I live in a really small room. I live in like a closet room. So is that motivation to get out? Yeah, but then now I've just been like fucking incubating in like the AC closet yeah. room that I need to like organize. So I'm just like <laughs> sitting in a, a tiny AC room with like piles of crap everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so like I don't know today I had to get out dude today I was like I'm biking somewhere and I'm gonna stay outside yeah. yeah you gotta get your spot sorted too I think that's another thing like writing and art making can become a um, procrastination of other things you have to deal yeah. with and I think a bunch of and it's just when you move those things come come to oh, the fore yeah. so it's like no, yeah and it can be hard like you, you don't have, have certain things taken care of you gotta even if you're trying to write in, in order to avoid it right maybe you can't always write well yeah these things just keep needling yeah, you yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and you it really yeah, yeah you gotta it's breaking your country. you gotta create the circumstances of that privilege to be able to yeah. go in unimpeded by yeah. life things you know those life things are gonna keep cutting off your flow they really do like oh, I gotta schedule this uh-huh. appointment fuck I was gonna write a really good thing but I forgot <laughs> it now I fucking forgot it now <laughs> yeah and it's uh, it is like work that's a skill to end up developing you know just getting into that mode and I've I've not been that great at it I, I want to get better at it because every single interview with 
a writer that I've ever read. Like I read a lot of the Paris Review interviews. I love those. I find those so helpful. Every single writer wakes up at like the crack of dawn and works for like three or four hours and then takes a break and then comes back in the afternoon and works some yeah, more. Yeah. It seems to be the way that like uh, what differentiates an amateur from a professional. And it's so hard for me to even think about that schedule. But eventually I know I'm gonna have to. Right. And of course there's all these people who fall out fall out of that um, right. routine. But that's right yeah. whenever. Yeah. But it seems like so so consistent from writer to writer. But all I the think, ones I admire. But I also think that's because if you're getting a Paris Review interview, yeah. you have to be the point <laughs> that you're literally a professional. Right, definitely. Right? Yeah, yeah. So then because there's also writers, you know, like Bud Smith. He's kind of like uh, whatever. He has he has a. Uh, I saw him read one time, and I feel like how he was distinctive for me. I heard him on a podcast, other people podcast, but then he also has been publishing stories. Oh yeah. Like consistently uh-huh. on random fucking online sites, like for a few years. That's nice. And he doesn't seem he's pretty indiscriminate with like where he puts his stories. Oh yeah. But he has a pretty unique tone. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like this so and he has a book called Work and he also worked worked like heavy construction. Whoa. So he talked about how he wrote most of his novel, the first draft, like on his phone <laughs> during a lunch break. Yeah, that's how you and do the it. book is all about these little anecdotes uh-huh. about those that type of job right. and different stuff. So, what was my point? Sometimes, if you're still at a point yeah. where you have to work, right. you're not a professional and you have to work to support yourself, then right. whatever you, if it can become investigative, yeah. that can feed the, yeah. the writing, I feel yeah. like, and, and retain, and that's maybe what distinguishes some people's earlier novels that yeah. are more like, they have to say a thing, right. Right. and then once you earn that, that, that respect, then you can be more indiscriminate in where you go and right. what you explore, but sometimes yeah, I, I feel sure. like reading those early novels often are most exciting it is like, exciting the excitement it comes right off the page comes right off the page and, and that just might be where I'm at right like, now they have to say this thing they have to say this thing there's yeah they're writing against time yeah yeah and, and the sense of desperation that everyone feels like I have to get this out will this ever see the light of day right will anyone read this will I ever get published but I do want to cultivate I do want to cultivate it is important to Cultivate your uh, your home space because I also want to get away from the idea of like the writer as this kind of like infantilized like boy child or yeah. person child that's like all about the art and yeah. then like sort of reckless in a lot of his life and other people like take care of them. Oh, that's terrible. I want to get out of that because it's also that kind of comes up in uh, in Dennis Johnson's story because it's he's old or he's writing. I don't think. He's reflecting back on all the stories. Yeah, yeah. You can tell he's kind of, I don't know if he's sober by then, but like all the characters, there's all the stuff about like mothers and like, mm-hmm. and like, and they're, they're all in, in, kind of infantilized, right. like swimming around, like not knowing what they're doing. But there's one story in the collection called Work, uh-huh. which is funny because that's what the, the, the <laughs> thing is called. Right. I think that's what it's called. Uh, but um, it's the one where him and his friend, his friend's like, sorry if I'm rambling too much, no, but no, I'll just no. finish this anecdote. Um, his friend's like, do you want to, uh, I need your help, I need your car, we got to go to this place and salvage all this metal from this old house and then so we can get, get some money. So he's like, <laughs> he's like, you need my fucking car? Like, this fucking guy. And then he goes anyway, but then as he's there and the dude's like smashing stuff like unnecessarily, 
you know? And then as he's there, like, a boat pulls up because it's on the river. Mm. And it's the dude's ex-wife. <laughs> and you learn that it's still his house. Oh, and no. she, like, lives there oh, or something. Yeah. And he's just going there to, like, fucking rip it right. up and take all the metal out. Uh-huh. And then they, like, and then he, they, like, have a whole fight. Um, his friend, the guy right. he's with, and his wife. And he's, like, fucking standing here, like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then at the end of it, they get, like, 30 bucks from the metal place each. Oh, yeah. And they go to the bar. And they're drinking. And it was, like, for the first time, like, I felt like a person who had done a day's work and had money in my pocket. Yeah. And as funny as that, like, that was really, like, I also fucking haven't been working. I've just been trying to do, like, freelance bullshit. Except for the last three months, I was driving delivery right. truck for the Philly Food Works, this, mm-hmm. uh, CSA company. And I don't know. I just feel like I like the idea of, like, it almost, when I read those infantilized characters, mm-hmm. I maybe five years ago, I would have been like, Look at these, like, guys, they're so out here. I right. want to be like that. Right. But now I was looking at it as, like, a guy who's past that. <laughs> like, sort of playfully forgiving and recognizing sure, those yeah. versions of himself. Yeah, yeah. But uh, not, by no means, um, romanticizing it. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a uh, progression I think most people can relate to. Like, you want to be freewheeling. You don't want to be trapped into some sort of awful structure. Right. That you but, feel will, will, like, doom you somehow. Right. But then when you the establish right, then you establish a structure and it feels really good. Yeah. And you actually feel more liberated. You feel more liberated. Because you That's the irony of it, because yeah. everyone thinks that I'm so free it's a weird bro, I'm out here fucking busking, dog. But it's one that I find is so true. Right. I feel like without structure you are so inhibited on what you can do, where you can go on just any particular day of your life. Right. It feels really chaotic. Right. In a way that can actually like prevent you from pursuing inhibit that flow life. you're trying to do yeah. that's when you are fucking like trying to scrape everything together all the right, time right 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 settling that's a, that's a lot of hours it's a lot of hours you can't be focused on things you actually want to be doing and it's inefficient yeah it's very it's inefficient because yeah. you're always reacting to the problems right, right. versus seeing them in advance yeah in being able to take action yeah in more of like a planned conscious way yeah and that's a good thing too to kind of know where you're going yeah. when you're writing versus just spraying out like yeah. in different directions like yeah. that rem- sometimes I re-remember that idea when I'm reading also from when I used to play uh, like cello and shit oh, yeah. and I would read music mm-hmm. and if you you have to think a couple steps ahead mm-hmm. in order to keep the flow going right right like that's when you fuck up mm-hmm. and then when you play through a whole thing successfully you're in this kind of mode where you're sort of seeing a little bit ahead sort right. of seeing a little bit ahead a little bit and that helps with writing okay. and reading Absolutely. I really yeah. remember that. Sometimes I can't, I can't, I'm in not reading mode or I got too stoned. Uh-huh. And I'm like reading one line over and over again. Because <laughs> you can't. And I, keep for, and I, get, I get lost in the immediacy. The but you have to see, think of everything in a bigger yeah, picture exactly. slightly. Exactly. Yeah, it's That's a funny idea. But that's a really good yeah, way to express what's happening consciously while right. you're reading. Right. Because <laughs> that is what keeps the momentum going. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to, like, yeah, like, you don't even need to be stoned to be in that mindset yeah. where put way too much focus and intensity on any given, any given line, line or idea. Our idea. Do you think, my God, there's so much packed into this. I have to, re- I have to really yeah. unpack it now. Yeah, right. But you think, no, I'm just going to g- sort of gleam it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it will stay with me. I don't need to worry. I can, like later on in the day, I'll, I'll be like recycling it and going back over right, it. Right, right. So save that for that and just, just keep going though. I really think that's something, that's a major thing 
that inhibits people from being able to quote unquote read or people are like I can't they're too daunted by the idea of a book right. I can't right. and I think part of that comes from the English high school English class idea yeah, right. that every idea has yeah. to have a meaning right. Right. every idea doesn't have to have a meaning no. just just go just run your eyes over yeah. it almost have a mechanical right. approach right. where it's like I just th- let it let, let your mind absorb it right you know you don't yeah. need to um, take on each sentence yeah and unpack it I mean we do that in you do that in in, in you know classes like as a as a lit major sure that's a large part of the work we did right and which is good it trains you uh, how to do more in depth reading absolutely once you have that skill Sorry, it starts it starts happening as you're reading and you don't need to stop and slow down you already have it sort of built in so your mind is functioning at that level and of course you're getting a lot more out of you're reading which that's is the really work nice. of rereading or reinvestigating right. the intuitive right. parts that you right. that's why I like transcribing all my all the spots I mark yeah but when yeah, I, I just started doing that too oh um, did you well I, I like take a lot of notes while I read like I'll you know set, uh, sentences paragraphs pages you'll and stop and you'll write a thing I sure will and cool. then I'll go back later I always try to do it the same day right and I'll transcribe it into into uh, like files uh, right. on my computer right because I felt like if I felt like it was important enough to stop reading yeah. and write this down, right. I don't want to just leave it in a notebook right. that's going to pile up in a drawer somewhere. Right. So what was it about this that I thought right. was so exactly. interesting? Exactly. So then I'm going through it later when I have time. Right. So I don't want to completely interrupt my reading. Exactly. And then I'll look at it and I'll tr- the act of transcribing it helps me absorb it more. Absolutely. And that's actually one way that I learned how to write was... Right, right, yeah, I got that from actually from Hunter Thompson. Exactly, because he rewrote the whole thing. The whole I was Gatsby. just thinking about <laughs> yeah. that today because I was working Gatsby on... Gatsby typed it all out. Yeah. No, but that's also a funny thing because it also, like, sometimes I feel like when, you, when you're, like, stuck with, like, you, like, feel like you put too much pressure on yourself or something and you, like, can't write or whatever, like, writer's yeah. block or whatever, yeah. you have to... I used to have this idea that you, like, pretend that you're a writer... <laughs> or, or you're performing some mechanical activity yeah. that's same as you have to uh, your job is to dig a hole right there mm-hmm. with like you know and you're getting paid for the day right. and the only the only completion of the job is having that hole be <laughs> right. dug and then there's that's nothing good. to do you just have to start digging right. uh-huh. or whatever that's kind of like a yeah. fucking that, no, but like a pretentious nice example because it that. has like grave connotations or grave digger connotations but whatever also, it is like digging into you know whatever you're trying to write about yeah yeah what, yeah I, maybe it was there was a reason why I picked digging over any other like random manual task but um but that that's like and then it's just like and and then transcribing stuff is like a precursor to that exactly. like that's usually how I get back into writing again it's like I'm just like typing a bunch and typing a bunch and then like your brain's doing weird stuff right. as you're doing that right. and then yeah because what I like to do is I like to um, just mark with in the margin this is like weirdly neurotic but I'm telling you exactly how I do it but just mark the part on the, in the margins of the lines of the thing oh, that yeah. I thought of so then later it becomes more interesting to transcribe them mm-hmm. versus whether I had said why it was relevant oh really because I have mm-hmm. to figure out why you it was relevant that happens too and uh, sometimes you forget yeah. You but you, but then you that, come up with that, a new why meaning. Would I, why would I yeah, that? yeah. But then, but I find that really, I, I love doing but that. It's nice because you that. do have to consider, like, where was my mind at? Right. Where I felt so connected to this particular right. sentence. And it also helps you connect with the time, the version of you during right. that time right. as you're reading it. It could even be like the previous morning or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, damn. Yeah, it changes quick. It can change yeah. quick, dude. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel like we, so you just listened to that other pod though we, we were talking about like traveling shit huh because I was on like my Don Quixote great, shit great. about like but I'm like Don Quixote's real dude like <laughs> I have to keep running around or else a crucial part of my identity will be lost if I'm not like semi like borderline homeless wake up yeah lose all your idealism which I think you know is an extreme it's an extreme outcome but I think Cervantes you know wanted that because yeah. he wanted it to be really definitive yeah. he didn't want to leave it open like Don Quixote has had some doubts maybe he's come to his senses but he still feels like life needs adventure I'm not going to go to the extreme I did right. but I'm still going to go out and have adventure no he you know but I feel like that's better being, being somewhere in the middle okay for us yeah. In life, like yeah. you don't want to completely be closed off to a sense of the grand scale of life. Right, right, exactly. And you don't want to be closed off to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't want to be closed off to that. You have to go on adventures. Right, you know, right. You have to right. seek these things. Right. Life makes life worth living. Yeah. But we can't be like totally foolish. Exactly. And devote ourselves entirely to the pursuit of an ideal. Passion. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Like, that's why I can laugh at those characters in Dennis Johnson yeah. now, where it's just being like... I think what fucked me was, like, when I... Like, I feel like the most seminal thing I read was, like, Savage Detectives, like, oh, yeah. when I was, like, a freshman in college. Mm-hmm. And then, like, as I reread it now, I'm like... Because it's all about these kids who just, like, yeah. don't give a... Like, there's no there's no bigger structure that they give a fuck about. Well, it's interesting you know? how it develops over time, though, and how... That's true. Like, the first third is right. definitely about those kind of lies right. and you see like how gradually some of them move into very different lives like right. uh, some of the sisters yeah. or the sisters especially like one yeah. of them especially like Angelica gives up li- literature yeah. altogether and exactly. sort of has disdain for it exactly she dropped them when she was like 17 yeah. and then just like yeah exactly she has disdain for it world all those ideas the two about twins right yeah, sisters right. they're not twins they're sisters. I don't know they weren't twins they're were, they were a couple years off yeah and then the Bolaño character um he remains a writer, but he begins to make certain compromises. Yeah. He does, develops sort of a structure in his life. He right. Because there's a late parts where he's like by himself, like on the water, like yeah. working on, the, like running out that room. Right. But I still think Bolaño retains a type of idealism. He does. Yeah. He, he does a good job of like. That's sort of his appeal. Ground. Yeah. Because he, he gets a job working in that park. And then the other guy, the most extreme character, is his best friend. I forget his name, but he kind of just. Ulysses Lima. Yeah, yeah, Lima. And he is almost just a completely transient character. Right, right. Doesn't he, like, disappear? Yeah, he, like, chills out to, like... During the Pinochet years or something? That's right. Everyone's, like, really worried that he's, like, locked up or... That's right. And then they find him. That's one section. They find him, but it's, like, a super sketchy, like... Yeah. Um, And then he has that moment where he confronts Octavio Paz. That's right. In the park that's right that's right i love all the blindness shots <laughs> he took like rap beef mentality into like literature i feel like where he'd just be calling well, out people and sending shots at people of, like we have to completely overthrow the old order right we have to be opposed to them without exception <laughs> you know it's this complete uncompromising view he's i think that it, it gradually like i'm sure he developed an appreciation of absolutely he's ca- he's capturing the youthful yeah, energy yeah. Of it. and he's contrasting with like yeah it's totally like the punk rock kind it's of, a punk rock shit yeah. yeah 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 being on fire being, you have to just burn down the world because it's so corrupt that you cannot deal with it right and but it I, can't be saved but I feel like things have gotten so gnarly now in our era mm-hmm. that like that that, uncom- that stance uncompromisingly yeah. is like no longer 
the interest. It's like no, no it longer. It's too fu- at all. It's too fucked yeah. up now. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. Now that permeated you, all elements of life. Say? Yeah. Absolutely. It's everyone. The most yeah. um, bourgeois kind of middle middle of the road artists are now taking these extreme uh, right. ultra right. ultra left stances. Right. Of, right. Like, right. They're all now revolutionaries. Right. They're all revolutionaries so they're now. They're gonna just burn it all down. Yeah, but like there's, there's already nothing left. But, so. Yeah, but, but it seems like. Uh, it, uh, where do you go from there? Right. We have to talk about the next day. Exactly. Which is going to necessarily introduce compromises and right. all these right. uh, other things that no one wants to address right now, or or, or they see it as like the, it, caving in an inch or compromising an inch is the same as dis- accepting defeat. Right. It's not. No, no, it's not. not at all. Because no one knows what the fuck is going on. Right. And we're all fucking swimming. We're trying to figure it out. We're all swimming. And if you close off all these options. Right. We're never going to figure anything out. We're never going to figure stuck anything in this out. I think before, when you could establish uh, that, when you could assume that type of uncompromising revolutionary stance, there had to be a really strong deciding force, like Pinochet's fascist right, regime, right. that was like fucking murking people and right. stuff to take down. Now, right. arguably, there isn't something like that to take down unless. Unless, depending on how you feel about stuff. No, I feel like people are getting hysterical. Like, there are serious problems, but this administration didn't introduce them. Right. Their representative... All of that is coming to light of now. Them, they're exacerbating them. Yeah, I they're feel exacerbating like that's them. In a, in a way that's and they're showing them, though. Because now there's they're this hyper-consciousness. Right. It. And all people do now, all day, is discuss issues that were right. in the shadows before. They were in the shadows before, so but they were there. actually at a point where... They're first on the agenda now. Right. And these things are like like really important things like universal health care. Right, exactly. Like $15 uni- uh, uh, living, living wage living as a minimum wage. Yeah. yeah. Um, all these important issues around immigration, global warming. People are now, um, the, all those ideas are now widely discussed. Military funding. In, in military the mass way, funding. in a yeah. mainstream way. Yeah. Whereas they were marginal before. Where they were, they, it was considered, uh, well, that's too radical. Radical. That kind of talk, and now it's mainstream. Yeah, that's always what happens. There are moments where like fringe radical right. ideas move into the mainstream, right. and it becomes something that yesterday it was off the table, and today right. it's like inevitable right. that these things are going to move forward now. Right, that's a good thing. So I think that's really exciting. That's exciting. And sometimes it takes a figure like Trump to galvanize Absolutely. people and right. move us out of a period of stagnation. Right. Now, I'm not saying like, oh, it's a good thing that he's president or anything but but man sometimes oftentimes you see that's how societies move forward there are many aspects to the presidency i feel like to, yeah, to, to, to yeah. what but but i feel like undoubtedly yeah. um one aspect of it is some type of band-aid being torn Absolutely. off and all the fucking um infection yeah. and stuff that had just been there yeah. is getting sunlight now yeah exactly and you know Convalescence can be fucking tough, but it's really rough. Yeah, it's rough, but like you gotta, you gotta get that, you gotta get that wound out yeah, into exactly. the air, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, it just festered. It's been festering, it's been festering so dude. Yeah. And now we're addressing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, people exaggerate too. Like, there's so much talk about fascism, right? And we're yeah. we're, we're now living in yeah. The Handmaid's Tale, all of a sudden, and I find right. it laughable. 
Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, yeah. I feel like it's people being very self-indulgent. Indeed. Indeed. I don't want to be um, dismissive of, no. of specific things yeah, that specific come up. Things that come up yeah. as, but, for, yeah, but for the most part, as I've seen it, I would agree with that. And I think it also, it sort of disrespects whatever. I think it's important for yeah to, to try to think of those yeah. older times and really right. what they were like. Yeah. Even like 50 years ago with like whatever. It's so recent. Right. You could think of some, you know. Or things are happening in the world now right. where there actually is fashion elsewhere. Or maybe not fascism but much um, more serious restrictions. Absolutely. On what people can do and say. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We don't face that at all. I was just in Washington, D.C., and everywhere you go, there is anti-Trump graffiti, anti-Trump um, uh, propaganda everywhere. Right. No one feels nervous about, you know, putting this stuff out there and right. feeling like, right. oh, they exactly. might be arrested and taken exactly. away in the night. Exactly. And it's just taken for granted, like, yeah, this is how you feel, you express it openly, right. wherever you want to. Yeah. That, that is, is not threatened at all. That, that is... No matter what journalism might say... How much you might dislike it right. personally, right. but who cares? Right. It's not going to have any effect on the law right. and our freedom to express it. That, that is specifically what makes our current set of circumstances completely different Absolutely. from these older fascist yeah. places that right. we're talking about. That's completely why I get different. with exclamations of Absolutely. fascism. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. I think people just, you know, you need to have perspective. If we're actually going to accomplish anything, we need to be very realistic about where we're actually at. You know, we can't address it problem. You have to look at the problem in order to even start addressing it. Yeah, so let's not look at an exaggeration. You're like articulating a lot of things I've been thinking a lot. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Somehow all those things kind of seem tied where it's like... Yeah, I mean, it does come back. Like, we began talking about Tom Wolf, you know, and his approach, I feel like that's, you know, one of his strongest qualities, is trying to look with a level gaze right. at what's going on in society in a given era, in a right. given environment, right. and look at all the different groups that are involved, right. and what are they all about? Let's not idealize them, let's not... Not uh, idealize or condemn any condemn of them. them. Let's look at them in all their uh, qualities, all their flaws, and everything that, about them that makes them uh, noble. Right about them that makes them uh, uh, worth skewering sure. and satirizing. Yeah. And that's, I feel like, the sort of prismatic or like the kaleidoscopic view of society that I really respond to so strongly. I find it so engaging and it's so wonderful, especially when he has a sense of humor about it. There's yeah. levity. Yeah. Even though the things he's talking about are very serious. That's what you were talking about with jokes. Them with humor, humor is important, too. But my God, some of the best you know, social critiques are are filtered through a lens of humor, satire. But I think satire is much stronger than condemnation. Yeah. Yes. I feel like this air, moment right now, uh, satire is out. People are leery of being criticized for satirizing something, right, which right. other people feel like you need to take deadly seriously. Right. But there's nothing like like if you look at a movie like Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. You know, a completely dark bleak satire of the Cold War and of nuclear annihilation. Right, right. And there's no better critique of that era. Right. And of that mindset of, right. like, uh, what do they call it? Mad, mutually assured destruction. Uh -huh. This idea that we all, you know, we need more 
stockpile of more nuclear weapons. Right, right. And, and it's plausible to actually launch a first strike against the Soviet Union and have a livable, habitable world after that that we can accept not only environmentally but like morally. That is so It's a gnarly, crazy dude. mindset. Yeah, that's a and crazy mindset. It and you can't And it was a mindset yeah, for a lot right, of people. Right. And it was like widely accepted. And why would that why did that how become a mindset? How did people get to that? How place? did people get there? Yeah, how do you accept these things? That's like what hiding we under to, a yes. desk or building a bomb right, shelter. Right, right, But once something like that is satirized, there's it's hard to look at it again and take it seriously. That's right. why I think satire is so uh, so effective. Dude, humor yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was trying to say like that's a, that's another thing. I like uh, one of the barometers of like mm-hmm. whether I wrote something that I like yeah. is like if I fucking la- if I make yeah, people if laugh, laugh or I share it to my friends. I did it with my cousin and I like just like all right, read the first chapter real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like it takes it's like a, it's like under thousand words, so it takes like five oh, yeah. minutes. <laughs> and then I was just like sitting there, and like, as long as he laughed yeah. like at least once, <laughs> I was like, okay, it's lit, it's You're good, like, it's You're good. Okay. Yeah, because like that's I don't know, that's yeah, and I fucking. I listen to so much comedy and comedy podcasts. I fucking love comedy, and yes, I don't know. It's, it's like so what you're saying about drawing from your whole toolbox, right? right. And like, this isn't doesn't have to be like a serious uh-huh. literary thing. Like, you know what I mean? I when, when, when writing is when funny, that's the best. Weird, dude. humorous moments pop up in the most dramatic, yeah. bleakest situation. Yeah. Yeah. Because that happens so often in our own experience of our lives. You know, like we'd be going through something yeah. really like. Tw- Torturous. Yeah. Like that's just killing us. Right. But then something weird happens. Yeah. We find ourselves laughing. And we yeah. Think, How am I laughing right I now? I'm dying inside, but for some reason, it almost feels like some like like healthy like in it's your so body. Healthy. In your, yeah. Like like phys- like physiologically almost. Right. Oh. You know what I mean? It's so much. Like because emo- your emotional traumas yeah. that you get unaddressed manifest in your body, Absolutely. which is what I learned firsthand last oh, year really? with my body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was like, oh, this is like it's everything. It's all aspects. It's not like. You can think it's all because um, I definitely confronted firsthand how oh my body is like physiologically not operating well mm-hmm. and I need and I kind of grew up in like a homeopathic like oh, an extremely homeopathic household oh really and I was like I need a specific drug mm-hmm. like through the best medicine right to function right. But it's but again, but it's also all those other things. And then you go to diet, but I really think the biggest uh, breakthrough I've had with the, how it was this past year was the emotional, right. some kind of mm-hmm. emotional health, and it's pretty much like a thing that you're repressing yeah. becomes like a a thing with like like a wound, like a physiological yeah, you carry representation this open wound around. Inside yeah, you. and it affects. I don't know. Yeah. So um, laughter is the antidote to that. Absolutely. Or finding uh, or writing about it. Yeah, we're taking an absurd stance. Yeah, yeah. Because it's because when you laugh, so many times. when you laugh, you the, you're pretty much disconnecting all yeah. the things that you've been going through and that have been happening to you and that, and that you've been embodying uh, 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 ideas you've been adopting. Yeah. You disconnect them from right. like some deeper right. you. Right. Like you, which is it's like tripping necessary. or something. You like look yeah. down on yourself. And you're it's like, like you were speaking earlier about the cosmic view. Right. Right. To be detached at that level. Right. And and really take things in perspective. <laughs> Which I feel is so important. Yeah. Like for me in my own writing, I, I never like to begin writing from a place that's personal or autobiographical. Interesting. I find that uh, I, it, it, 
it's never worked out for me. It's always become like maudlin or phony, yeah. or it's too personal where too I can't, personal. I can't, you can't detach yourself enough. Right, to look I can't at be it. objective enough right. to say, is this good writing or is this bad writing? Right, or is is this even interesting it's to anyone but me? For anyone but you, yeah. So I have this sort of aversion to that. So I never want it to be about me or have anything to do with me or what I'm going through. Of course, inevitably, that inevitably seeps, seeps in. in. It comes right out of the end of your pen, you know, but right. but it's never intentional. And I find that that detachment helps me to be more magical and to open up so I don't feel like, oh, I'm not adhering exactly to how it was or how I feel about it. That doesn't matter at all. But I find it so liberating to speak in other people's voices, people that have nothing to do with me. Interesting. But of course, I come out through them. Absolutely. But it's so exciting because I feel like none of this, there's nothing at stake here. There's nothing at stake here. You're just looking at things. Right. And so I'm completely doesn't free have to, define to write you. wherever I want it to go. Yeah. To write whatever I want to write about. Yeah. And it's that detachment that's so necessary. I feel like I have the same goal and, I'm, I'm, and I want to look at a version mm-hmm. and I want to sort of like step back from it yeah. and look at it but I think I inevitably but yeah what is that distinction but I think I would more uh, in some outlook mode in some out- baseline outlook I'm okay with the idea of looking at myself and my life right. like but the sa- but I feel like I have the same intention but again oftentimes it becomes more interesting yeah. when I put that character in a setting right. that's sort of a weird amalgam of a bunch of settings mm-hmm. and watch it play out Yeah, it's talking happening. to someone some mm-hmm. miscommunication describing it right. so and, and if I'm sort of freestyling a dialogue it yeah, didn't exactly. happen mm-hmm. it didn't, or it, maybe a version of it happened or which you know what I mean you maybe wish would happen also yeah which is one of the pleasures of writing or a version that emphasizes the bad elements of right. what happened oh, right, right. to be like a version of that happened uh-huh. bro right but it's also the writer's job to dramatize things sure you know that's why I said a more yeah um, uh, like the, the extreme end right, point right, of, exactly. of that scenario uh-huh. and it gets it across but in a way that connects with readers and makes right. it worth reading it, it puts it in a neutral setting that isn't yeah. just about that's, that's how you get out of like the what did you say like a maudlin mode of like just yeah. writing about like yeah. I felt this thing one day this happened to me this happened to me, which means it's de facto interesting, which isn't right. true. No, that's a that's one of the great untruths. That's well, that's 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 the that's the the critique of the quote unquote memoir mode. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also feel like I'm a memoirist and not a fiction writer. But okay. the reason why it does isn't like that is because I feel, anyway, I'm not that's not the pretentious I'm talking about. Like, just it's a tough myself. one. I mean, I've read some great memoirs. Um, I feel like they skirted a lot of the danger that you could fall into of being, I guess, what would you say, like uh, self-indulgent? Right. Like, I don't know if you've ever read um, Patti Smith's memoir. No, I mean... I haven't, but it's come up a million times and I was looking for it. So they're, you know, they're just fascinating. Something Kids or something? Yeah, uh, Just Kids. Just Kids. Yeah, about her and uh, Robert Mapplethorpe. Yeah. And it avoids a lot of the, you know, the cliches and the moments that you would expect. Right. Because uh, that's not her intent. Writing. Yeah. So it's interesting on that level of, of getting books into her life. But also, it's also, she's not really trying to tell that story. She's also trying to sort of tell the story of an era and like a milieu. I think it's important to have a question that you're asking yeah. that you use whatever vague memories you have of things 
as a building blocks to explore. Yeah. I think before I said, I'm going to just say everything that happened between this time period. <laughs> and that's why they couldn't end, because there was no instruct there was no question driving them. Oh, yeah. That's why you got to come up with that one word inflammatory title to right. the, <laughs> the parameters you're using. <laughs> um, that's good, yeah. Every Everything needs to focus some kind yeah. of uh, target. Yeah, everyone needs that. goals. Everyone yeah. needs things that they're striving for. Uh, I don't know, that sounded... Yeah, that sounded... Or at least a direction you're A direction, in. a direction, yeah. yeah. One direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, so you're going... Yeah, I think there might be some stuff I was going to do today, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I want to track down a couple of those books now. Oh, yeah, for sure. One Tree of Smoke, and Tree I want one of those Tom Wolfs. Yeah, I like, I, I think what you're saying, with how he's representing stuff weird on the page is something that's interesting to me, too, because I yeah. like creating a, I don't know, now in the age of, like, Instagram and stuff, like, you really look at a, you look at, you look at pages yeah. as physical, and you, you print stuff out, you look at pages right. like physical things that someone looks at versus, like, an endless receptacle of a bunch of mm-hmm. words that are, I don't know. Just yeah. working with line breaks and stuff, I like spacing it out, making the or like having my eye move, right. interestingly, across yeah. a thing. That was and one of the most exciting things. Um, like as a teen, getting into you know like beat literature, oh or, yeah, or more more you know literature in that vein, where they're trying to like give you an experience of the excitement of these moments in their lives. Yeah. And also, they're trying to like represent their writing in the way that like a jazz musician right. uh, plays their instrument. Right. So on the page, you know, there's a lot going on stylistically with how things are are uh, moved around, and uh, that certainly influenced you know, someone like Tom Wolfe and that whole generation of like Hunter Thompson, all those new journalists that came right. out there, Norman Mailers. Right. Right. And in a lot of that writing that they did in that time, there's a lot of experimentation with what the page looked like. And it's really catchy on the eye, and it like moves, has a certain sort of rhythm to it. Yeah. So a lot of my first like writing incorporated a lot of that. That's sick. It's fun, you know. Like it also like helps you the way you're thinking about your approach and what you run to write next. Exactly. Would you think that some beat writers are like versions of like broad memoris, memoirists, as I was saying earlier? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, cool. it's definitely That's that, more what I mean. Yeah, it's definitely the... It's into that genre. I yeah. I don't know like what the distinct, how you would distinguish anything here I ever wrote between... Is it a novel? Is it a memoir? Right. I mean, it seems like to adhere pretty closely to what happened. It just takes the form of a novel. Right. But later, like, after On the Road... I feel like he was less and less trying to novelize things. Just trying to record things. Just less record things, yeah. They happen. Yeah. It feels like a, a snippet of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I want to write... Or I don't know. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the... That was sort of the central approach of the beats. Like, you know, Ginsberg's poetry was, had the same approach. You know, it was only William Burroughs. I feel like he was the... Most novelistic of all, like the, hmm. his writing 
almost exclusively from his like imagination. Right. You know, you read. I mean, of course, a lot of it's autobiographical, but it's all like so filtered through this weird like noir and like science fiction and like horror right. approach. So very surreal. Yeah. You know, and using that cut up method. So read something like um, make a bunch. There's these sort of weird abrupt shifts in the timeline. I felt that in the first 20 pages I read. Yeah. I got that one too, though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely like... I feel like I... uh, I, 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 Right now, the idea of like trying to write something that's like really tight Mm -hmm. and like... I don't want to use the word arc because of all the things we were talking about earlier yeah. but just like a satisfying mm-hmm. snippet yeah. of a life that's like really attractive to me which I feel like I had to go all the way in the other way and be like but any but any type but at the end of the day I'm still a, a recorder uh, an yeah. investigator or a documenter of right. things like don't get it twisted you're not like crafting some like perfectly seductive like I don't know novel but I also like I don't know it's like things are swinging back in that direction I'm like that's that is appealing to think of like what kind of like full experience is this creating or something like that you know what I mean yeah but um, what's so satisfying just to tell a really concise story say the least possible yeah exactly like you mentioned uh, hunger yeah and you know that's a really beautiful example yeah you know it's very specific it takes place within a very uh, specific amount of time right and it's really just focused on that one person and his point of view yeah. and his just day-to-day struggle. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I'm fucking with right now. In this, you know, complete, completely um, unremarkable little seaside town. Fucking wildin', dude. Just out here trying to trying to catch some Z's, write some words down. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'll just post out in the hallway. It's all good. <laughs> I'm going to finish my novel by the morning. Yeah. <laughs> like, bro, you're not, dude. You're wilding out. Like, yeah. Take a, take a fucking... Get a tent. Uh-huh. No, it's fucking... didn't have tents. Find a shelter for a little bit. Recoup. He get tried, yourself yeah, right. He He's trying. Yeah, he, like, slept in a barn? Yeah, he slept in a barn. That yeah, he scared that. some girl. Yeah. That shit was wild, dude. But it's interesting also to... The method of, like, tracking a character's mentality through the, just the day-to-day struggle just to get something to eat. Exactly. And how hunger... Yeah. The absence of... Survival. Just, sort of, yeah. Survival. The character dealing with survival yeah. is an automatic engine. You're right. And that's what, yeah, certainly propels It's an automatic engine, yeah. So that's why... Yeah, it'd be sick to get to a point where you got dropping in Paris Review articles and you got that whole day grind. Uh-huh. But if you're out here still trying to survive, that's not bad because that's giving you engines yeah and yeah. so it's like a, it's an energizing force right it's crazy what how you will suddenly get a job when you're totally <laughs> out of money like you're like oh okay it's time to go okay I'm yeah. just making I'm not even thinking I'm just <laughs> making moves I'm uh-huh. not being like but I'm an artist I want to just like twiddle my thumbs and smoke rollies <laughs> you know yeah you're, you're I'm dealing with that right now your yeah value, your values shift the bar gets lowered. I'm trying to get. I'm trying to actually have a spot. Like I got a spot in New York already. Uh-huh. Oh, that's nice. It started this month, and I, but I've been. I would have moved already, but uh, my van. I was using my van to like deliver veggies and oh, stuff. Oh, really? And my I had a my my starter crapped out. Oh. 
But then I got in there. I've just been going through this whole process where it actually wasn't a starter. Like a bolt snapped out of it because I removed it. A bolt snapped off inside. Oh, no. So I got the new bolt because I thought the bolt just fell out. But now I have to remove, extract the broken bolt. And I'm just waiting on a drill extension that I need to get in there because it's right by the engine. So you can't even get a drill in there. So... It's just so funny. Like I've literally been like the dude with the van who's moved every one of my friends. Anytime they move, yeah. throw me fucking forty bucks. We'll do it in a day. And um, now I'm moving, and I fucking can't get my shit going. But then I'm having all these ideas about like, um, is this is the van some representation of oh, yeah. me clinging to these old things we're talking about? Sure. You know, because I was I was living out of it when I was like in, up north and stuff. You know, yeah. and I drove it out here, and then I'm like. No, the way I can justify possessing this random vehicle is by continuing to use it right. uh, for work. Okay. So, like, that's what I and I can do different, um, co like, contracting jobs and stuff that I know when I'm out there, and like, that's going to be like where all my tools are, and I can do transport port jobs okay. for having that. So, you know what I mean? Like, right. I have to be using it as a tool, or else I can't justify continuing to pay car insurance. On sure, it. exactly. Yeah. So, but it's just. What led to that? I don't remember. Well, it's but, funny um, how often that happens in life, where something like that, like, becomes so obviously symbolic, you know? Oh, I was going to say, the survival, <laughs> exactly, but some obvious, but just yeah. the connection was when a survival instinct kicks yeah. in, like, I am learning stuff about my vehicle yeah. just by railing through YouTube videos, uh -huh. and then getting the next bit, yeah. and, like, it's because I'm like, dude, you're not going to get out of here, bro. <laughs> like, and suddenly I have, like, my right. knowledge of what's going on under the engine has spiked, and it's just, it was that survival point. When right. you have a survival impulse, right. suddenly you start acting yeah. different. Like, you start, yeah. But, it but it's so exciting also to be forced into action. Absolutely, dude. That's the antidote to so much of yeah. depression, stagnation, uh -huh. fucking isolation. Yeah. Yeah, but you were saying it's so obviously symbolic. It is so obviously well, that, symbolic. I mean, Zach, was, Zach so was laughing at me the other yeah. night. Like, dude, like, this is your ticket out of here. Because uh -huh. like, every day I come back, how's that? Okay, I discovered it's this. I got the new piece. But then I, I don't, that's not the right piece. I need this other piece. So fucking yesterday I was waiting for that yeah, shit to arrive and it didn't come on time. So now I was like, and I was kind of going to my brain. I was going like, you can't focus on anything mm -hmm. until your van is gone. Yeah, yeah. It's the only objective right. now. But now I'm at the whims of whenever fucking Amazon <laughs> delivers this obscure left-handed uh -huh. fucking drill bit that I need. And so today I, I decided to finish transcribing yeah, Jesus it's the Son. It's out of my control. Uh, but you got to get to the point yeah. where you've done everything. Absolutely. And then you, you know? To, 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 like, you can't just assume that everything's no, out of your control. No, 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 no. There are things that you are... accept it um, and, and have your integrity remain intact. Right, right, yeah. right, right, right. Rather than feel like you're just copping out. Right, exactly, exactly. Like, I, I really hit the wall. I did everything yep, I could. I did everything as a kid. This point in the game, uh -huh. is, it's it's out of my hands until the next the next task right, appears. Right, and The universe gives me the next right, task. Right, right. <laughs> and it's great to have... I always try to do too much. I always try to set too many tasks. Yeah. Too many goals. Too many things coming up ahead. Because that... Uh, I just... Then I'm always, like, motivated. Right. I'm, like, on my toes. Right. And if I don't do everything, that's fine. Right. But, uh... Man... Rather than the opposite, like having sort of looking at my calendar and like just blank, uh, man, that's 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 bad. That's bad. I guess that's yeah. what I've been learning, bro. Because like, because that's exactly that's exactly what I've been doing. Like yeah, setting myself tasks, setting myself tasks. But I, I this feels so new yeah. to me. This feels so like yeah. Oh, this is what being uh -huh. a person is. Like uh -huh. this whole I feel like this whole time up until now, like mm -hmm. I've just been kind of like 
other people deal with those things. Right. I'm on my own uh -huh. thing. And now it's like, no, dude, it's just you and this uh -huh. vehicle. And if you don't get it, you're going to have to... Then, then no one else is gonna. No step one in. else is gonna step in, no. dude. Uh -huh. So that's which that's, is nice. That's probably that sounds like evolving. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's fairly new to me too. This mentality, but I find it like I was saying earlier. It's really liberating, actually. It's liberating to set up to feel like you're in more. For yourself. You have more control yeah. over over things. Yeah. Yeah. Feel more independent. I'll still be a. I'll still be a. Always, I always love things that feel spontaneous. Yeah. Um, than things that don't and I'll still always have that like even like today it was like sick you know it's like thing that we just but but at the same time you can't chase spontaneity as an end in itself or else you're gonna get really fucked up right, real quick right. that's what it's I was so doing I think eventually. that's what I was doing I think I think yeah, I was like I fetishizing the idea of spontaneity you know yeah yeah so it's like really nice to have balance yeah but really yeah be open to a moment yeah yeah have to have yeah that openness always yeah yeah, just chasing it forever, man. It's, uh, <laughs> it's funny, uh, I just came across this quote yesterday from Alice in Wonderland about if you don't know where you're going, any road will lead you there. Right. <laughs> and so right. That's what I was right. doing, like taking any road. Right. I didn't really know right. Right. where I wanted to go. And that was sort of this thing, oh, spontaneity, do this. You could take that. detours, but you gotta detours have a destination. Nice, but like, yeah. it, unless it's full, it you is hit that rest like stop. a larger journey. Yeah, yeah, but you gotta... Yeah. You gotta because you do, you want to like be open to, oh, I saw a sign for something really cool. I'm just going to turn off here for right. like right. maybe the next couple hours. Recharge the batteries real yeah. quick. Yeah. But yeah. You have to get off the freeway sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Road analogies to the max, yeah, dude. Yeah. That's all, that was good though. Oh, man. Oh, amazing, dude. We got a full pot, dude. Oh, cool. That's cool. We got a full fucking pot. Um,. Yeah, I'm like a pod leech. I just no, but I haven't had the. I don't know. I've been doing ones by myself and stuff, but I sometimes feel like it's so much better when you have a conversation with someone. It's so, so much more interesting. That's for sure. So much more yeah. interesting. There's like too much self indulgence to my solo pod. That's why I've been crapped yeah. out for like a month because I was trying to alternate, go solo pod, group pod. Anyway, it's not interesting. Um, yeah, that reminds me of this quote I really like. Um, Ian Forrester said this. Oh. He said something about like what, what one thing he really values about writing. He said, "How do I know what I think until I see what I say?" Right. So that's how I feel about like good conversations. Like, right. I mean, I know yeah. what I think about stuff about life, about right. you know this or that. But uh, when it's just me in my head thinking about it, it's one thing. Right. When I have to say it out loud and formulate it in a sentence or in a, in a clearer way, yeah. So someone else can kind of some I can explain it well to someone else. Then I actually have to uh, think a bit more clearly or critically about it as I'm formulating what I want to say. That's, and that to yeah. me is so healthy for me. And it's so healthy for me to hear that process coming from someone else. Right. It's so healthy. Yeah. And talking, speaking is like our, our as, our, as, as like humans' mm -hmm. distinctive characteristic. Yeah, we are so Depending social. on how you think of like squirrels making sounds to each other or something. I'm not trying to say that no well, other, I don't think no they have They got signals, but they yeah, ain't they got that. Yeah, that's they, like the so of there, course that would be food. that would be the most right critical thing right. to uh -huh. exercise as Absolutely. this type of creature. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, yeah, it's so necessary to us. It's like oxygen for us. 
yeah, that's that's actually how I how I've been editing some of my stuff I've been working on is when I have like a few chapters in a bunch. I've been, and I always have this thing about sharing before the thing is done. Yeah. For a while, I would have like never showed anybody. Oh. But and sometimes I think you can go too far in the direction of sharing too much, and you kind of yeah. get the self satisfaction of what you've written that debilitates right. you to continue the project. Yeah, I, I've but, found that I get in a mindset of like writing to share, like writing towards yeah. the the moment where I'm or the person I'm going to share. Exactly. So what happens is I have like say one really close friend that I know that pretty much anything I write he won't explicitly judge it oh yeah and he's usually the first person I send it oh, to oh yeah <laughs> and I might look at, I might co- uh-huh. take that te- piece of text yeah that section copy and paste into an email uh-huh. and then edit it to him oh sure you know and the edits seem uh-huh. really obvious oh yeah you know and then I'll uh-huh. wait a little bit and he'll go okay dude that was lit that made me laugh I'm like okay it's not complete trash but still only Viva I know he's gonna fuck with anything I share with him <laughs> then, I co- then I go to a yeah. couple friends out of there where I'm like I'm, yeah. they might and then I rewrite it to them yeah sure and then I rewrite it to them yeah and then that's a really natural editing process <laughs> it's good like. yeah that's and a really good process it's so obvious what uh-huh. you want to edit when right. you write it to a friend it's so right. clear right. Something. you're like oh, that was some bullshit right, right. and you, I never go like oh but the thing I, I don't, that doesn't happen when I direct it's it towards good. someone yeah. and maybe you gotta be aware of I don't know. Maybe that's just how I've been doing it, and right. it's been working for me. Um, yeah, see, I can't have too thin of a skin. But that reminds yeah. me of, of two things. Um, one is uh, something John Waters said. He said, "Don't show anyone your first draft. Show first thing you should show people is your tenth draft." Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like I guess what you're saying. Like, you gradually are sharing drafts right. with a certain subset of people. Right, right, right. Which I think is really good. Yeah, I haven't showed any objectively other person that I know nothing about anything yet. So it would be as if the first draft that goes out into the world is your tenth draft. Right. And even there it's still your first draft as far as like I'm still going to be editing this massively. Sure. Making all kinds of changes. Right. But another thing that occurred to me was something Spike Lee said. He said like he'll write his screenplays he'll have it to the point where he thinks it's ready to film. Yeah. But then he'll do rehearsals. And then once the stuff is said out loud, said out loud, he'll immediately say, "Oh my God, that doesn't work out." Yeah. I'm gonna cut this, cut that, cut this, cut that. And it's the same sort of process, like hearing it out loud. Reading out loud is reading important. out loud. Yes, that's another way you can edit a lot. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes do that too. I used to do that. I go, "Let me read this to it you." Sounds so perfect. And then as I was reading, reading it, there are parts where you're like, "I can't even say this yeah. out." And then you jump over it, and then you yeah. go back, and you're like, right. "I still don't want to say that out loud." Uh-huh. That's a good test. That really doesn't. That's work. a good test. Yeah. Yeah, so in my theory, if every initial reader is one rewrite, yeah. I need to have 10 people I emailed it to yeah. over a period of time as right. I gradually mustered up courage uh-huh. before I send it to like the faceless person. Right. Um, who has no reason who has to... no reason investment to yeah, give you any yeah, benefit of the exactly. doubt. Exactly. Uh-huh. So you first send it to your mom. <laughs> <laughs> right. Viva's my mom. Viva's the first person. Yeah. Uh-huh. He's like, mom. He'd be like, uh-huh. you're fucking great, bud. Yeah. You're, do- you're killing it. I love you. <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, thanks, Viva. Uh-huh. Um, that's so funny, dude. That's actually that's actually kind of deep. Because um, it's uh, social... It's making a what's classically thought to be a... Purely solitary task into like a right. into a communal one, which it's, it feels it's healthy. All, it's always there's always the audience there, you know. Right, and you always have to think of them at some, in in some way. Right, 
Yeah. But you but, but but if it's completely theoretical, yeah. there's no grounding for it. Uh-huh. Like you know what I mean? Like right. does this will this make me happy? Right. That has to be your first concern, happy? yeah. Does my friend uh-huh. my friends like this? Uh-huh. Well and then, you know, you uh-huh. kind of feel your way like that. Right, right. Or also now I'm thinking of something Kurt Vonnegut said. He said he was able to hone his craft because he started out writing um in his high school newspaper. Oh, nice. He wrote like these short little humorous pieces and he, he oh. knew if it worked or it didn't if it right. made his friends laugh. So he had why... every week he put out the paper and he had this built-in audience. Oh, yeah. So for like four years he yeah. honed his craft based on whether it worked, whether he could make uh, his fellow students laugh or not. That's why anybody before 1950 wouldn't quite have this understanding right, right. because stand-up wasn't a thing until then. Yeah. Or unless you had that opportunity, but it was, you know, you had the, rare. Maybe if you were like the scri- the writer guy in like some royal setting and you right. have to read, but I don't know. I think, yeah. I guess maybe going back to the oral, I'm getting too historical here, but um, but doesn't that seem so much like yeah. stand-up? Yeah. You oh, cast for it sure. and you get the immediate. Yeah, you have to know. One of my, you get an immediate response. Uh-huh. Yeah, I want to read yeah, that's why it's important to read stuff aloud um, in, to your friends, but yeah. also I think that's what the reading component... Although I think that's why I think some reader, some readings feel so not good, because... I don't know. I want to... If I'm doing a reading, mm-hmm. I want to make people feel something. Right, of course. I don't want it to be some exercise in... I don't. Some of some yeah. poetry readings feel icky to me. Dude. They sure do. You know? uh, they're they're such a turnoff to me. It was exciting when I was you know like a young teenager and reading the beats, and I felt right. like poetry is like a noble vocation. Right. And to go out to a poetry reading is like a sacred right uh, invent, event. Right. And to get up there and share this these intense emotions that you have. Right. Right. And to sort of. Uh, write about your life in a way that makes it uh, dramatic right. you know these, these little things that happen to you are, are made right. so, so important but then you know after you move out of that phase a little bit it becomes um, to me it's like so self-indulgent so in a way that it's so closed off it's so insular yeah and so only other people with that same mindset go to those things and so yeah it's sort of this closed off insular world which I find like isn't very interesting but it'd be great if poetry was funny Yes, you know, like my, artists, all my favorite poets—they're—they're yeah. they're funny, and in, yeah. s- in some way, you know, yeah, absolutely, me too. Like you know, uh, I think that's one of the—I think that's one, the, the main reason why someone like Charles Bukowski appeals to so right, many people who right, right. you'd never think would ever want to read someone like right, that. Right, right, right. But he makes you laugh. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever read Sam Pink? I don't. No, I don't think. I don't think so. No. He's fucking, he's, he's fucking so funny, dude. He's like, he's like, like, yeah, anyway. But, um. But it seems to be like yeah. this line, like, oh, unless it's like super serious and intense. Right, right. It's not art or it's We're not We're breaking poetry. that down, though. Like, culture's breaking yeah, that down. Yeah, and that's now. a good thing. I'm really, really, I'm really behind thing. that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something, that's, you know, and that's, that's definitely one of the things, like, or those things like that. Like, I don't know, Belonging's idea of, like, literature lit, written by the non-literary right. or for the non-literary, barbaric writing. Um, um, but, um, which is like a fictional person made up that idea in one of his books, but, um, <laughs> but, um, which I love, I which love, I love. When, 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 that alone is him, absurd and funny when, and hilarious. When writers make yeah. up other writers sort of who make up manifestos. Yeah, exactly. Cause he's sort of, of their most bizarre, of the, yeah. bizarre, like screeds that they've ever come right, up with. Right. 
But um, I can't really say that myself. I'm going to put it in the mouth of a character. Yeah. No, that's just an important thing, I think, to stick to and know that that is something that I... As you go into a place like a, yeah. like a workshop or something, that's mm-hmm. an insular place. And not to completely uh, dismiss that whole process due to some type of arrogance or something, mm-hmm. but also to remember, like, always remember, mm-hmm. like, does my friend who doesn't mm-hmm. religiously read books, right. will he pick up us up, read this page, mm-hmm. and be like... A laugh. Be uh-huh. like, I want to keep reading because yeah, this is yeah. interesting. Great, right, you right. know that's exactly. the barometer I want those, to yeah, remember. Those are the top, sort of the that's top. That's the top barometer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then you can get into like, oh, this actually, this crazy technique uh-huh. will facilitate that yeah, process. Yeah. But if it's not facilitating that process, then, I'm trying to, to like yeah, make some shit yeah. shitty for uh-huh. no reason because yeah, yeah. Some people who define themselves as authorities say right, it's better. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, and it's. I mean, there's so many good examples of people who stayed really true to themselves, didn't compromise, they weren't trying to appeal to a mass audience, right. but they accomplished those those two things right. every time. Right. Like I keep thinking of uh, that show Louie. Yeah. You know, it's completely personal and distinctive, yeah. and there's got all these like weird elements that the show was popular, but it wasn't like Friends popular, no. and it never could be because it was too weird. It was on some art shit for sure. For sure. But it, but it always so made relatable. you laugh, and it always it was, was so relatable, accessible. and it kept you wanting to know what happens next. Yes. It somehow did things that would, due to just their formal out there-ness, yeah. would seem pretentious. Right. But don't come off, because every, all, all the building blocks of it are so yeah. fucking New York. You right, know? right. <laughs> fucking and, people and you out can't here. help think that kind of stuff maybe didn't happen exactly that way. Right. That kind of stuff happens every all the day time. All the in time. that city. Yeah. So it's so reflective of Link that. letters like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's formally out there, yeah. but it's like just motherfuckers walking around Austin. Right, right. You know? <laughs> but it's so relatable. Everyone has been in that kind of neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. And you met people like that. God damn, dude. But I like, yeah, how both of those those guys, they are never pretentious. They always want to relate to the audience. They, yeah. they want to be seen as by as many people as possible. Yeah. They're not snobs, they're not elitists at all. They're heavily, you know, influenced by very like noble and serious works of art. But I love that what would you call it? Like that sort of that ground where it's not like art house. Where right. It's not uh the Cineplex. Right, or, right, right. It's that straddling between. That's how I feel about, you know, Bologna. It, like it's totally his writing is so appealing and it's so engaging. I feel like you could put his stuff in the hands of just about anyone and yeah. they would be really fascinating. Right, right. And it's fun to read. It's fun to read. Yeah. And it even gets, it's, yeah, simultaneously fucking highly Bor- Borgesian, uh, literary, uh-huh. like almost to a hilarious, absurd degree. Yeah. And it's fucking pornographic and right. violent and, right, right. and uh, just uh, every day, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting not... That's to me the the golden place to aim for. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's, there there that's are these the pleasures you can pick up on if you're really literary or yeah. like you're really into art. There or something. are new, but you don't need yeah. you, don't you don't need that yeah. schooling, right? But that's that's where the middle ground is, and yeah. I think where I'm going right now in my life is a slight oscillation back towards. Uh-huh. There are still cool things you can understand yeah still little tricks you know you're like a if you're like a storyteller and right. you're learning like new little oh, things yeah. underlying secrets that 
you know, the inner workings of the engine that right. like make the car go mm-hmm. in that cool way, you know? Fucking terrible, terrible metaphor. That's, but, that's um, uh, really important to know. But I yeah. I feel like it's weird how there's like this aversion in some people wanting to know how, you know, the magic trick works. How things work. Yeah. They think it's it should te- be it's like... It's scary because then you can't look at the thing as just a tool mm-hmm. that you're, uh, as, as a thing that's operating. It's even like yeah. the government. It's like you can't just look at them as like... The daddy is going to solve everything. That's right, it. exactly. A lot. Because yeah. you see the inner workings uh-huh. of it, and it's just a shit show. Right, it's right. a bunch of little kids being like, "But I want to be the guy. I right, want to be the right. guy." And you're like, "Oh fuck, it's on all." Of us. <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't want to see all that. Yeah. I wanted to see, right. but now I, I want to be more naive. I don't want to see that. Yeah. Um, let's find something uh-huh. else to take out. Let's find something bad yeah. to take out. What uh-huh. do you guys think? Don't look. Don't look. Uh-huh. Um, but um, that was a little harsh. But um, yeah. But, it, but if you're going to learn the craft, you know, you have to figure, you have to know what's going on, you have to know how these effects on. are yeah. are created. Yeah. And it never, it doesn't take away from the magic, you know. Yeah. You still get absorbed in a good story, you know. Yeah. Even if you know exactly how they're manipulating you right. or how they're putting it together. Right. It almost you know? becomes more fun. You're like, yeah, you can tell, oh, he's doing this really superbly. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He's really yeah, pulling yeah. this off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's when writing is like entertaining. Well, yeah, I was just going to say the last thing about... It's interesting what we were talking about earlier with certain types of comedy. We should probably wrap up soon. Um, with um, the type of comedy that goes right into the uh-huh. craziest questions yeah. and makes everyone got laugh. Uh-huh. I think I'm just, over the past like six months or so, just re-remembering how the king of that is Lou. Uh-huh. Absolutely. He is the absolute Without question. god. Like, yeah. You know, head... like. And just going through, I mean, of course, I've seen all this bit, uh, stand-up, but just sometimes mm-hmm. I get lost in just, you know, cycling through bits, and I'm just, it's just like, it's just, it's just wild. Right. You're just like, this is why, this uh-huh. is, this is what everyone's sort of kind of gumming, gunning for. Exactly. No, no one wants to admit it anymore. Right. No one wants to admit it anymore. And I think that's what made cry, me forget about it for a while. And then I re- re-remembered uh-huh. it. It was like, it was almost like we still got all these gems, you know. Like oh, for sure, it's it's immortal. It's immortal. I mean, yeah. he'll, his, he'll come back around, you know. And culture will come yeah. back around. It's, a, it's, it's like, just so necessary. It's, 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 Matt, it's he's a, it's like uh, you know if there's a, a craft that yeah. everyone's trying to learn, that's like the you master. Study. That's a master, Louis, yeah. you know. And it's like it's just it's just awesome to re-remember that or something. I don't know. Yeah, to actually go through it and I found myself, say, how is he pulling this off? Yeah. And it's even more. It's, it's so than, delicate. It's so delicate. Yeah, because when he's a he's a person who's mastered the technique so yeah, well yeah. that you don't see never the, the never. techniques happening uh-huh, uh-huh. as they're happening. He's and so it's conversational so, too. It's so it's like magic. Yeah, you're like yeah. Everyone is gonna laugh <laughs> at the most fucking. And he also brings you in on it too. Right. Which is it's, another yeah. thing we're saying about That's a really good emphasizing too. emphasizing the person saying it at uh-huh. a certain time. Yeah, yeah. conspiratorial. Like, uh-huh. Then you're just like you're implicated. Yeah, <laughs> you're implicated. You know you had the same hey, thought. You guys laughed at the uh-huh. fucking uh, peanut allergies, yeah. and you guys laughed at the fucking oh yeah yeah. Other thing. <laughs> you, we're already we're in this together uh-huh. now, and that's when <laughs> it's so great when you have the audience on your side there. Yeah, that's that's some religious type shit to get excited yeah. about. Nothing that's like with the poetry reading stuff. Nothing's automatically sacred. Excellent. Nothing's automatically yeah. sacred. But things. And can when does be that sacred. ever happen in a poetry reading? Right. You know. Right. Where you feel that strongly, and you actually work through really deep issues. You know, you, you don't think it, think of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. If you go through, if you went through one of his specials, all the things he touches on. You know, are as deep as any other yeah. art form art form uh, could explore. Right. 
Right. And actually, what he's saying, it's you know, it's he drills down really deeply, and he, I love how he like opens these doors. You didn't even know we're there. You thought you were in the basement. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to show you what's beneath the basement. Oh my God! One of them was like this uh, Saturday Night Live monologue, and it was the one about uh, the bit that's like um, um, because of how harsh uh, the punishment towards pedophiles is. Mm-hmm. Because of how bad your yeah, life is fucked yeah. up, he's like, it's gotta be so good. And he's like, no, 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 no I'm not oh, saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh-huh. he had, had this one little aside, aside tag where everyone's uh-huh. just like, oh. Yeah. And then he's like, no, I'm not saying we're good. Yeah. I'm not saying we're that because yeah. we're fucking awesome. Uh-huh. Like, we're so good. Like, it was like, there was a moment where he, I don't know, I just think of that phrase yeah, as yeah. so wild now. Like, of course, because uh-huh. we're so awesome. Uh-huh. Like, the way he said awesome uh-huh. was just, like, so fucking hilarious. Like, it hit some deep spot really, yeah, yeah. of, like, Oh yeah, we are. This doesn't apply. None of this could ever right. apply to right. us. Which it doesn't. But you know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. That's that's or whatever. <laughs> you know, that's like that's like the extreme taking a thing to its extreme right. point and just po- and going right into and it. And you realize right that that it. wasn't the limit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which he is the master at doing that. He starts at the extreme, and then he jumps right over it. Right. Right. Like, whoa. And he sees he sees things. And when you think of even when I just listen to comedy podcasts and understanding uh-huh. the terminology yeah. of like a, a bit and then a tag and a tag, yeah. he takes those tags. Yeah. To like the full extent, which yeah. is I think what you get when you do stand up for a while, and then you're trying a bit, right. and then you get those extra tags yeah, yeah. by doing it more and more. Right, right. Just keep um, pushing it. Keep, keep pushing it. Go. But that's the same with the writing stuff. I feel yeah. like I've scratched the surface, and now I need to just I need to go yeah. home without devolving into moralizing uh-huh. or figuring it all out and executing some figured out yeah. thing or backing out right, too right, far. Right. Um, but keeping, you know, so. Basically, I'm just getting pumped up, psyching myself up to, like, continue writing. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It takes... Continue working and not getting yeah. self-satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. You want to call it? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it takes a lot of skill just to get into the right mindset. You know? Yeah. Uh, that preparation. Yeah. That's what I feel like when you're a professional, like... You, you don't have to work at it. Like, you just can slip it into that space right. and then slip out of right, it, right, like, right, at right, will. Right, right. Yeah, treating your grind like your work, too. Yeah, yeah. Treating your artistic grind like your work. It's time you're putting in, you know? I'm sick, dude. I'm fucking glad we made this happen, dude. I don't know if anyone's ever going to make it this far. Yeah. Signing up. Nice.